Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 3, 403 Forbidden is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about it on the Mr. Robot Podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. Uh, I have been impatiently waiting to podcast about Mr. Robot again ever since the reveal of the other one. And you know what they say about patience, Antonio Mazzaro? Surrendering. Surrendering to patients? What's going on here? Is this like a, this is some sort of virus spreading? Is this a, a Walking Dead scenario? I don't think so. This is not, not a Walking Dead scenario. No, the patients aren't taking over? They're not taking over. I mean, the patients in some ways uh, are taking over the world of Mr. Robot. Uh, but uh, there's, there's no zombies to be found unless you subscribe to the idea that the Dark Army operatives are veritable zombies in the employ of White Rose. And certainly as it pertains to White Rose, Antonio... Whole lot of white rose here in 403 Forbidden. I don't think that we've really commented, by the way, on the um, the title structure of season four so far. Uh, seems like there's a very specific methodology to the from 401 unauthorized to 402 payment required to 403 forbidden. All of these different like error codes that are popping up in the titles for season four. It does. And we had a note from Zach Brooks and other people have observed this as well. We're one episode now away from our 404 error page episode. Zach said we've got to be getting something interesting for that. Uh, Of course, Mr. Robot has had fun with titles in the past and the 400 bad requests here are are no exception. Uh, This one, 403, though, it is uh, it's just something that. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear from you. Do you think there are any of these things that the titles directly track to the error codes? Or is there do you have error code theory here, Josh? No, I mean, I think that it, it, it only insofar as it can maybe help you figure out what the theme of an episode is going to be like here with 403 Forbidden. Obviously, we're talking about that forbidden fruit. Right. That love you've denied yourself or you've been denied and the, the thing that's just out of reach that you don't have anymore that you wish you had or the thing Are you that talking you talking about opiates. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like for it for Olivia? for Olivia as well. Shout out to new character Olivia, who I like quite a bit. Uh, there's you know, th- there's a lot of that in play here, uh, you know, in, in 401 uh, payment required. Uh, there's, you know, some measure of sacrifice required for Dominic DiPiero as she is starting to work with the Dark Army again. Uh, and maybe you could say that Philip Price is having to pay the bill uh, on uh, everything that he has reaped over the past several decades of his life as he is starting to maybe work with Elliot towards bringing down White Rose. So I just wonder, and I don't know what the structure of, of, the, of the 400 bad requests are, uh, but knowing that we've got 13 episodes here, could you map that out to as far as 413? Uh, like, does that give you a sense of maybe what the longer arc of the season is going to be? Heading into this podcast, Antonio, I'm fully unprepared to weigh in in any kind of intelligent manner. But for the theorizing crowd out there, of which uh, we hope there are many, uh, because you are certainly listening to a podcast about Mr. Robot uh, that is uh, heavily focused on theorizing and going over every single granular detail, as we do here on Post Show Recaps, that it might be of interest to you. And you certainly could write to us about your findings. We've got a feedback section for that very purpose mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com it's our email address you can use that you can also use our feedback form postshowrecaps.com slash feedback you can also you can also tweet at us i'm at round howard antonio's at ac mazzaro how many z's how many r's 
That's two C's, one R. And at Bosho Recaps and the hashtag PS Recaps. I don't really know what's happening anymore, but you can send all of that crazy nonsense to our uh, nonsense voiced uh, feedback forums. Um, was that your Mr. Robot just now? That was the other one. Antonio. Other one. <laughs> Antonio. Antonio Mazzaro. After a really eventful first week of Mr. Robot, after a very eventful second week of Mr. Robot, especially as it pertains to the final moments of that second week of Mr. Robot, how would you classify week three of Mr. Robot, which is pulling the curtain back to a certain degree on White Rose, or at least her motivations and what brought her to the place that she may be at right now today. It brought us Fernando Vera back into the mix in some way, shape, and form. Uh, and it brought some new love into Elliot's life <laughs> as well. How did this episode stack up so far as we're pushing forward into season four? It was nice to be able to take a little bit of a breath. I'm not Uh, mad at it, honestly. Not mad at that at all, especially in a season where we know, or at least we've been told, or it seems that a lot of the events are going to take place over the period of a few days. Uh, It's very nice to be able to take just a beat and say, let's, let's go to a holiday, uh, bar Christmas Eve and have a couple drinks. Let's, uh, let's spend some time in the company of another human being, uh, and just be with each other and share some vulnerabilities. Let's not just rush from gate to gate or go in from crazy thing to crazy thing. It's really nice that this show is able to take the time and do that. Flashbacks are certainly a good way to do that. Who is White Rose? Who is White Rose? Who is White Rose is a question that's repeated throughout the previously on segment. And it is, Again, good to get some backstory on White Rose. When I was going back, Josh, and rewatching the old episodes of Mr. Robot and re-listening to our old podcasts, one of the things that Cora Donna brought up that we talked about via Philip Price, but also just via the show in general, is that for writers, at least in this in Mr. Robot writer's room especially, the idea that we might be, be behind or start to back uh, the goal of a villain, we start, it was talked about with White Rose as well, that we as an audience might say, man, I, I really can't stand that person, but I find myself agreeing with their agenda a little bit, so I don't really know how to react to that. Um, that's something that really interested them. So here we have a backstory on White Rose, which we'll talk about after the backstory and after we know some of the history of White Rose, do we find a little more sympathy uh, with White Rose's fervence in the pursuit of the project? Certainly the ends don't justify the means, but maybe the ends are a little more understandable now that we know more about the person. And I think that that makes that that complex analysis start to trigger, and that becomes a lot more interesting than just a one-dimensional Bond villain uh, who maybe gets one or two scenes in the context of an entire work to split spit their plan out. Uh, we're learning more and more about White Rose as we go from a one scene character or two, if you count post credits in season one, uh, to an entire opening of the first, what, 15 minutes of the show, right. finding out backstory about White Rose. And I'm not sure that we're done at this point. I would expect we're not done. I'm sure that there will be further clarity because that this, you know, these first 15 minutes or so of the episode take place roughly around 1982. Um, the opening from 402, uh, it took place, I think, I think it begins with the fall of the Berlin Wall. So there's a lot of time that has to be filled between the death of of uh Zhang's lover who uh, do we get do we get a name for that character not that i not that i was able to pick up the actor is Eugene Shaw is the name of the actor who plays Zhi's lover back in 1982 uh and Ross Kurt Lee playing the young version of Zhi Zhang and and honestly just 
enormous props to both actors for really yes. excellently carrying uh, the the first uh, the first act of this episode. Uh, it was really really beautiful stuff to behold. So I think a lot of those details between eighty two between the death of Xi's lover uh, to the fall of the Berlin Wall and like the sudden rise of of uh, Xi Jiang in power, whatever it is that White Rose has in mind uh, for her greater project, what she wants to do with it, you got to imagine that that's really starting to fill out. Um, it's spilling out from this moment. Is it all a quest to be reunited with the one person she had revealed herself to? Uh, it certainly seems like her lover is the person who uh, was obsessed with time before before Zhang uh, yes. herself was. Uh, so there's a lot to mine there. Um, I have once again a partial interview with Sam Esmail up at The Hollywood Reporter talking about a lot of what it is you just seized on, this idea that in the writer's room on Mr. Robot, there was an active interest in getting us to be in a position to start feeling for White Rose, maybe, in fact, to, to root for a villain. And this is what Esmail told me. Um, what, this is a quote. One of my favorite films is Blade Runner. I always thought about that beautiful scene at the end between Rucker Hauer and Harrison Ford. You felt so much for him. It was sweet. It's this beautiful, tender moment between two guys who were trying to kill each other five minutes before that moment. You were rooting for Rucker Hauer's character to die. When you can get the audience into that predicament, where there's no longer just one goal that you want, it can become richer and more layered, and you're engaging the viewer on a much more exciting level. It was really important to show White Rose's backstory for that reason. She's not this one-dimensional monster. She's a person who has gone through so much. Uh, Esmail goes on to say that there are a lot of intentional parallels between White Rose and Elliot. Uh, uh, Sam says, I know it's a cliche at this point when the villain says to the hero, you and me are a lot alike. It's a classic line in every action movie. But if the, if the dynamic between a hero and a villain works, it's because they can relate to each other. It's because there's an attraction, not just that they're at odds, but an attraction between the two of them as well. On a deeper level, they actually are going after the same thing. It's the means that define their differences. That's for us as an audience to engage with. Diving into White Rose backstory, I hope that without saying that cliche line, the audience is still seeing it and feeling it. Um, so after this episode, Antonio, do you think that that mission that Esmail is charting out is accomplished or at least partly accomplished? Are you starting to see the roadmap for a version of the final season of Mr. Robot that if and when, and I will say when, White Rose's plan fails, because I do not think that this will end successfully for White Rose, that we are actually going to feel some measure of of sadness for White Rose, uh, whether it's not even, uh, you know, we, we could feel badly, we could feel sadly if White Rose's plan doesn't work because the ramifications of it could have been positive for us as an audience, maybe for right. the world at large, maybe none of that stuff. And maybe White Rose really is a lunatic who's just chasing this dream of reuniting with someone who she lost once upon a time. And when that fails for White Rose, are we going to feel deeply for her? Do you think that this episode helps set the stage for where we're ultimately going to land with this character in the in the final balance of things? I do. I wouldn't say mission accomplished, although I would say mission is certainly in progress in that regard. Uh, from the the vulnerable reveal, the first reveal of White Rose that we see, if you want to talk chronologically, uh, the reveal to her lover of who White Rose is and what her real form is in terms of who she is as a woman, having to live as a man, uh, but really knowing that she's a woman, uh, wearing her mother's dress, a peasant dress, or an, uh, a dress that she thought was elegant, even though 
it wasn't really fancy. Um, to on up to to really understanding that this person was in love, uh, was able to show that vulnerability, uh, that true self to someone else in in a quiet moment uh, and be accepted uh, for who she was and be loved for who she was, and then maybe feel partially responsible for how that was taken away because she asked someone to be patient, because maybe she chose or or certainly was at least happy with or accepting of the idea of more power instead of the ability to go live in the United States freely and be who she wanted to be uh, or be at least more who she wanted to be uh, than she can be in China, uh, the idea that maybe the the, the pursuit of power uh, influenced that negatively, we're getting a lot more color, uh, not just white, to white rose. And I would yeah, say red as well. A lot oh of blood gosh. on those roses. Finally blood get on it. the funeral roses. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty clear why we have that name now, white rose. Yeah. Yeah, pretty clear how we have that name uh, and pretty clear how we have a watch and pretty clear why we have a frustration frustration with asking someone to be patient. Uh, pretty clear a lot of things, right? And so because we're pretty clear on a lot of those things, the, the ball is a lot further down the field than it was before. I don't think it's in the goal yet. Like, I don't think we have succeeded in completely putting ourselves in a position where we feel bad for White Rose. The thing I would say is the show made a very clear decision to put White Rose in the center of our own zeitgeist, uh, to put White Rose behind meddling into our election, to put White Rose behind a lot of things that are very hot buttons for people that are difficult for us to compartmentalize when we're analyzing White Rose as a human being. That's a very high wire act that I don't think you can pull off with 15 minutes of flashback. I'm not saying that the show can't pull off that ability to see some sort of appeal uh, or to find some pathos or to find some uh, level of understanding sympathy, whatever you want to call it, empathy uh, with White Rose. I just don't know that 15 minutes does it. Uh, but if 15 minutes could do it, uh, these 15 minutes would come pretty damn close. Uh, I really like that we start in a room where uh, it, we've seen this scene probably a dozen different times in yep. different ways uh, in, in, in pop culture, of course, uh, with a translator and somebody saying something that isn't being said uh, and then saying a different thing out loud. Uh, but here it wasn't being done strictly for humor. There was a lot of love in it. Uh, and the fact that there was love in it, I thought, uh, made that kind of scene that we've seen a, a lot of. Uh, yes, there was humor in it. I laugh when I said, I'm going to have fun stealing your intellectual property. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I really thought the love in it, the tenderness, the, 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 the connection between these two characters is what stood out for me more than anything. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that the, if you're reading humor from it, then I think that what you're reading is like you're reading like a full relationship. And I, and right. I think that, that again, I, I don't think that there is enough to be said for just how incredible a job these two actors did at conveying the dimensionality of a relationship of, of so, in, in so many ways. Uh, you feel, you feel that, that humor in that moment where like, if I have to eat one more fortune cookie, uh, it was it was right. a was a really funny line. Like, can't we just get Italian food? Is really really funny. Uh, when when G says, "Yeah, I can't wait to steal all of your intellectual property." That's hysterical. Then you see the two of them, and they're just having the tender moment in their in their bathrobes, and it's just like we're in our downtime. Like, this is where we can be us. This is where we can be real. Uh, then G's partner has to go uh, and engage with another meeting, and she just does not want to do it. And G is obviously very ready to to finally, or at least is thinking about it a lot a, a lot of like is now the time to reveal myself and I know it's a big risk by doing this in the moment when G's partner comes back and and sees the 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 woman who will be known as White Rose as herself as her true self for the first time and you have this tension as a viewer of like how is this going to play uh, is this going to go over well or is this going to be heartbreak and is this going to be the reason why White Rose is like going to go insane uh, and no instead it's that really 
beautiful line delivery of you look beautiful and this really sweet, emotional, tender, loving kiss uh, that is, uh, you know, almost unlike anything we've seen on Mr. Robot so far. Uh, you know, not necessarily like the most romantic show, uh, Mr. Robot, but this just like had this like sweeping epic star-crossed feel about it when these two kiss and the camera is pushing in on the watch, which I know that you're going to want to talk a lot about that watch and the, and the time read on that. So you get that romance, and then we get to the next piece of the flashback, you know, wedding day time or, or, or whatever it is. It's, it's this man's wedding, right, that he's, um, yeah. he's, he's not ready to do. And obviously it's this man's last day on Earth, uh, and it's the big breakup scene, and what a breakup it is. So you get, like, the full scope of a relationship in 15 minutes, is that enough to forgive White Rose for ordering the execution of Angela Moss? Probably not. Or probably not. The election there. of Donald Trump. Who or knows? A, no, probably not. Probably or, not. Or you know, ordering the assassination of our son Mobley. Hacking, not to mention yes, Trenton. Hacking the DNC. Right. You know, probably not. Um, no. But is it is it helping us to get into a position of how a human being? With um, with access to tremendous resources and clearly an uh, a, an astounding amount of intelligence and skill is going to be inspired by tragedy, by personal tragedy, to go off on a, a mission where everything can be sacrificed in the pursuit of that mission. I think that it definitely helps me understand the character more. I want to know more. This isn't fully enough for me. I imagine, you know, Esmail says uh, that hopefully we're going to be able to avoid the cliched line of, you know, Elliot, you and me are a lot alike. But I imagine that White Rose's earlier um, statement to Elliot a long time ago of you and I will never meet again. Uh, the first time that they met back in season one's uh, well-titled episode, appropriately titled White Rose, uh, that that will true that that will bear out to be false, uh, and there will be a conversation between White Rose and Elliot. And maybe if Elliot isn't convinced, uh, at least we will understand a little bit more about why White Rose is acting the way that White Rose is acting. I hope so. I, I don't. I mean, I, you're, we have 1982 here, 1989. Like you're saying, we have gaps to fill in, uh, and we have, I think, more work to do. When when Minister Zhang uh, says, as uh, B D Wong in our current timeline uh, to his assistant about the dress, like I want to be wearing that dress later uh, when the project goes off. My first thought was, well, he's going to die in that dress. Absolutely. Like that's, that's the dress he's going to die in. A million and percent, yes, absolutely. The connection then, therefore, if that if that will happen, like the connection will be, I think, poignant at the very least, considering what we now know about the history of that dress and what it means to B.D. Wong, uh, B.D. Wong's character, I should say. I don't know what it means to B.D. Wong. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might, might mean something, might mean nothing. Who knows? But uh, but I think now that we know that, uh, we've, we've got that least poignancy uh, established, if nothing else. I think another meeting with Elliot, I think more that we fill in the gaps perhaps from the 82 to 89 uh, we can only I think do well I don't think we'll be gilding the lily or gilding the white rose as it may be uh, if we do find out more about white rose's backstory but we did a ton of work here speaking of work uh, you mentioned the scene in the bathrobes. It was a foot massage that was going on there just some light massage but there was something else going Quentin on Quentin Tarantino there. triggered Quentin Tarantino not only triggered he's very excited into it feeling uh, it I uh, I want to know if you were triggered uh, because some questions were being asked there. Things like, are you mountains or ocean? Uh, what's the first color that comes to your mind? It's like purple, like, uh, you know, red or purple in the land of Ecodelia. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Don't bring the land of Ecodelia into this. This has been going so well. 
but what about the questions? Like what, this is just random questions that are being asked to lovers laying in a bed. And you don't you don't tie any. They're very similar. Mountains or ocean should isn't is it not like eagle or giraffe or whatever the questions are? I mean, it it did strike me as at least a little bit similar. Perhaps a call out. <sighs> White Rose had to get that from somewhere, Josh. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so. What are you what are you suggesting here that the land of Ecadelia is built on a foot massage? <laughs> would you like it better if it were? Uh is there anything that it could be built on massage based that you would like better? Uh, I'm not a big massage guy. I would I would rather a massage than play the land of Ecadelia, I think. Uh, That's fair. No, I think the land of Ecadelia still needs to be fleshed out for me if I'm ever going to reverse course on the land of Ecadelia. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Uh, you know, there could still be something that comes up later on in the season that suddenly makes that scene from season two, uh, where Angela's on the computer makes so much more sense to me. But as it stands, I still don't see it. I, it was not even a little bit on my mind here in this scene with the foot massage, uh, the land of Ecadelia stuff. Um, but if it's, what is it like some sort of data collection for whatever the project is or something like that? Like, you know, testing people to see who they are at their strangest and most pressurized uh, or even in some ways in their most mundane. Um, you know, if it's like, what do you prefer, mountains or oceans? And like, is your answer going to like uh, take you to your idyllic paradise like uh you know your slice of paradise and whatever new world that white rose wants to create something like that um maybe i guess i don't know uh but i didn't really read too much into it at the time it's i i don't read too much into it i just think the similarity was enough that it popped for me and i don't know why that was happening and i don't think it really matters why it was happening to to a point i just i think what we what we see from white rose's backstory is that she acquired a lot from her lover uh she acquired the watch as we see uh the direct connection of the watch i think she acquired a disdain for patience uh, or a timely uh, a need to be uh punctual and on time uh and whether or not this uh the questioning is something that has a little more personal meaning to white rose and maybe it isn't something that can be used that is that is just there for Angela's sake. Um, maybe this is something that's a little more personal for White Rose in some way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that it makes it any better. I'm not saying you shouldn't continue to be triggered by it. I am saying it felt similar to me. There was a little bit of a connection. Played, obviously, in a very different setting. Uh, played in a tender, loving setting rather than a weird uh, Twin Peaks uh, or David Lynchian setting uh, right. for Max, uh, you know, Max rattling effect uh, and Max just, uh, just disconnect uh, and puzzlement. Um, this was played for tenderness. It, it felt like, you know, you were giving your lover a quiz of some sort and building a personality profile. Um, whether or not this is something White Rose carried forward with her, I don't know. But speaking of that watch, something she did carry forward with her, I couldn't help but notice, as you point out, um, that what the, the time we see on the watch uh, after the kiss and then connecting through in the forward, in the forward timeline to White Rose, it was 1116, the same time that was frozen on Elliot's mom's clock in her room is this just accident josh is this it's not obviously not an accident is it just an easter egg for easter egg's sake or do you think there could be something more to it well there's no such thing as accidents so it couldn't possibly be right Isn't oh my that, gosh you're right you know yeah, um yeah. but look if the, if there is an idea that is in play here of the duality uh not just within white rose who obviously has two different um sides uh you know one that's the front facing Zhang and one that is the the woman that she shows uh to her partner 
um, and is the woman that we have seen so much of in in her private moments um, along the way here along uh, along the Mr. Robot Road. Um, but also the duality between this character and Elliot um, is it really just to heighten that? Is it to heighten um, that? Maybe it's not coincidence. Maybe it's fate. Maybe it's two destinies that are intertwined. Um, Lost is a is not like a massive touchstone uh, for for Sam Esmail. I know that he is a fan of the show, and that is a show that deals heavily in destiny. Uh, and I think that the idea here is not necessarily out of reach uh, for Mister Robot. It's like how much are we are we fated to uh, to be in the positions that we are in versus how much are we creating our own destiny and our own fates um so is that in play is that part of the reason why you see uh these two different times or is there something more deliberate linked like is there something where because i know that there are certainly we talked about it a little bit at the end of last week's podcast the ideas that maybe white rose um has an active hand in the creation of mr robot has had an active hand in the tampering with Elliot Alderson specifically and creating the personalities that exist within Elliot. Um, and I think that the, the paranoia behind that is only heightened by yet another Easter egg in this episode, which is to take it back to the foot massage scene, Antonio, and what's on the television, The Thing is right. on TV, which is, you know, the, the classic uh, suspense science fiction thriller uh, where, like, who is who and who is really the monster and who is actually themselves? Uh, and, you know, it, 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 is it you? Is it me? Is it both of us? The types of paranoid questions, frankly, we in the Mr. Robot fandom and on this very podcast are asking right now following the other one reveal at the end of episode two. Uh, so I, I think that there is uh, an element of paranoia that is that is very firmly in play right now uh, and the 1116 uh, timestamp on both this watch and also in uh, Magda's uh, apartment, uh, Elliot's late mother. Um, do you want to just call that a coincidence? Do you want to just call it like kind of a, a cutesy connection between the two or do you want to go deeper and say that White Rose has some sort of active role in Elliot's upbringing in life? Um, I'm inclined not to think so, but I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. I would say this, and I'm sure people will be doing this after this episode. If you're going back and rewatching Mr. Robot throughout, considering 1116, at least so far as we can track it, first shows up in that episode where Ellie gets out of prison in season two and goes and visits Magda. Maybe be looking to see if you see 1116 other times. Uh, if you see other watches, if you see other instances of the number 1116 throughout, uh, that might influence uh, either side of that coin, right? Whether it's uh, just a fun Easter egg uh, or, or bait in that regard. Are we Lindelofing like we like to do? Uh, or is there something more to it? Is there some connection that we can draw? Uh, when Sam Esmo talks about the other guy being baked into the show from the start. Um, maybe there's been something like this running throughout the background that we haven't seen and it is number based. Um, and so maybe that's it. Maybe 1116 is a key number in the ARG. There's really no way to know right now, I think, exactly what it is. But I'll certainly keep my eyes open for it. And I, I couldn't help but notice it there uh, in that moment that it isn't just 1116 on the watch in 1982 and in 2015. It's 1116 on Magda's clock too. So that's a number that is running consistent throughout, not just two one character's timeline in two years, which is a, a you know a fun connection, but it's running throughout multiple characters' timelines. So what is it? And that's right. just something that it, we can't we can't let it pass by without mentioning it. Just like we can't let the thing pass by sure. without mentioning it. 
yeah. it, well, well, to go back to the to eleven sixteen, like my first thought there. Now that we're really going in on it, is like, okay, so does that map to a Bible verse, right? Uh, that just that stands out to me. The path of the righteous man of it all, uh, and uh, and I'm ju- I just did the quick search. Obviously, this is not really my thing, but let me bring it up just in case there's anything that you could read into this, Antonio. Not to say that this is like totally your thing either, but let's talk it through. Uh, oh, if, I'm a Bible if, boy. If you look up Romans 11:16, uh, the, at least the New King James version of the verse uh, is written as: "For if the first fruit is holy, the lump." is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Um, Does that play in any way? The New Living Translation is uh, longer, and since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy, for if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. Wait, we got holy dough? Do you think those are donuts or bagels? (laughs) I mean, I'm fine with either. I mean, they Um, both sound delightful. I wonder if the inverse of this is true then. Uh, if part of the, if part of the root is unholy, uh, or if part of the root, uh, or the dough is, is bad, then is the whole batch spoiled? Uh, right. is the, uh, is every branch spoiled? That is a story I think that we're telling throughout the course of Elliot Alderson's life. Um, we know that we may be talking about inception and inception points in Elliot Alderson. And so if there was a beginning that was bad, if he was malformed from the start, either, and I'm not even talking about, uh, from his own, um, mental, uh, mental unwell state. I'm talking just generally speaking, if there was some interference with him, if that, if he was an experiment and that was done poorly, then the, it's going to produce a poor result at the end. Uh, and I think what what we're seeing now is White Rose is relying on Elliot and relying on Elliot's anger a lot. So if you want to read this as White Rose had a role in developing that anger, then I guess what I would say is if you're reading the inverse of this, then that anger is going to come back to bite White Rose. Right. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I, I mean, we're at Christmas season in Mr. Robot, uh, the beginning of all that is holy if you're in the New Testament realm. So I don't know if we're basically saying like we can do something good and because we do something good with good intentions, it will ultimately produce good results. We need to do that before we can get good results. Elliot's initial actions were bad, or at least their motivations were not pure. Uh, They were not just to save humanity. Um, He also had some element of personal revenge involved. Uh, Same thing with Angela. Maybe now if he can be truly altruistic about this and put all that aside and actually try to do something just good for good sake, um, maybe he'll get a good result. I don't know. Uh, It's interesting. I don't know why Romans comes up. If you just Google like Bible verse 1116, surely there are more books in the Bible, there's surely more books in the Bible than Romans that have 11 books or whatever, uh, or chapters. So I don't know why. I just looked, I just did a, I just did 1116 verse. And I was like, Hey, what's up Romans? Shout Why out is to it Romans only Roy. Romans that comes up? That's yeah. really weird. Maybe people really like dough. That wouldn't surprise well, me. <laughs> Hebrews 11.16 also shows up, uh, and it says, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Why is uh, this all? Why, these are all about God and holiness. I guess they are from the Bible. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that could be, yeah, I, I think that that could be interesting in comparison to White Rose, right? Yeah. Uh, preparing sure. a city for, for the people who are longing for a better country. What are um, we doing? I don't know. I don't know. Going, 
going down the we're going down the robot hole. Active, we're going down active, the Bible. Active the Robible. Uh, yeah, active situation here. Let's talk about the thing. Let's talk about I, the yeah. Thing. I, I, well, I mean, the thing is there, and and Boy George is there as well. I mean, these are these are definitely cultural reference points from the early '80s, uh, but they're cultural reference points that clearly tie into the story in some way. In Boy George's case, uh, Boy George certainly uh, uh, among the the icons of that time ahead of their time in terms of the gender fluidity yep. uh, and the culture club and everything that was happening on the TV there that White Rose saw. Uh, I think so, I mean it was even an open remark that's interesting like it, it just gives someone the idea that they can maybe be who they want to be uh, and be publicly the, the way they want to be you you cannot say that people like that aren't icons and don't represent uh, something that is meaningful or representative to someone I thought that about this entire first 15 minutes is that this is representative of a thing that we have seen far too little of on television uh, and we're, we see obviously in, in now in peak TV days we see a, a lot of different stories and we we see voices from diverse creators we've never been able to see amplified. And this is a major cable show. Uh, we're seeing the first 15 minutes carried by two actors who aren't part of the main cast of the show. Uh, it is a definitely a homosexual love story uh, featuring a very tender on-screen kiss told in a very loving and not salacious way. Uh, I think it's great that the show did this. Uh, but it is, like I said, it is something where you can look at key cultural elements that are referenced in these scenes to see what the characters of that time uh, would have been thinking about. It, it's not surprising that White Rose would want to, if in 1982, the love of her life was taken away, the, the person she felt like she could reveal her true self to was taken away, uh, that she would want to go out and try to change the way the world could be seen uh, and make it better, make it a better place, ideally, for people like her and for everyone else to be able to be their best selves, to be able to be who they want to be. Um, if that is what is at the heart of White Rose's project, as I think Sam Esmail hinted a little bit with you at the beginning of the season, uh, I think you can see why that would be there, and I think you can see why in 1982, um, those sorts of things would be on her mind. Not so much with the thing, but definitely with Boy George. Yeah, and that quote from Esmail, uh, for those who, who want it here from that interview that I did with him for the podcast, was anytime you can get the audience to actually root for the villain's goal is really fascinating. White Rose's goal, which is to sort of reboot the world in a way and create a, create a utopic society. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the means you question and the way she's going about it and the consequences and the fallout from it. Um, so that is that quote. Um, Antonio, anything else from the White Rose segment, at least the stuff in the past that you want to talk about before we start moving on into the present? Because there is some present action that is highly important to be talking about. I do. I mean, I really just want to hit on the fact that I I couldn't tell if when Zhang broke the news that uh, I'm not going to be ambassador to the United States, which, by the way, Zhang couldn't even speak English. So I'm not sure how realistic or maybe he could and he just wasn't doing it. Right. Uh, but I, I don't know how realistic a dream that really was. Did you read this like Zhang chose power over that job or did you read it like the opportunity was presented and Zhang didn't say no? Or how did you read this? Because I think active choice plays much differently across the annals of time for White Rose than I was offered the job of interior minister and I took that instead. Uh, I wasn't offered the job of ambassador. But if White Rose saw that as an opportunity and saw power as more appealing than the ability to be with her lover in the United States, then you could see why that would influence her. Her actions uh, going forward for sure. Yeah, and, and that's the impression that I get. And I, I think that the the choice, it, it, you know, whether it was um, 
like a, this is your only option or you could be the ambassador or we're so impressed with you that you're, you know, minister of state security. Uh, and it's like a no brainer offer that you can't turn down. I think in, in any event, it's the choice that she's making. Um, and I, I don't think that there's any universe, right, where White Rose thinks that by making that choice, she is going to be condemning her partner to, you know, immediately yes. taking, taking, taking death. Yes, exactly. Uh, going the, the, the full Abe Simpson. Like, I don't think that that is what was on her mind. Um, but I do see it as this was a choice that was made. We're going to be okay. I'm going to have so much power. I'm going to be able to make this work and completely underestimating um, the sorrow and the pain and the helplessness and the loneliness that her, uh, that her lover would feel. Um, and I think for that to be something that fuels White Rose moving forward makes a lot of sense to me. Well, and the, the exact quote, I think, is something to the effect of, I will find a way to make this world better for the both of us. And the response is, this world will never be good enough. Right. I, I think that really, when you talk about influencing White Rose's goals and actions going forward, uh, and a belief, a cynical belief, or perhaps a correct one, uh, this world will never be good enough, then you're, you're talking pretty much the, the, I think, the genesis of, of White Rose's actions. I mean, you're talking about when you put all these things together, we're seeing the inciting incident, I believe, that leads Minister Zhang uh, to become White Rose uh, in pursuit of the project. Uh, and so I, I, I don't think that, that this was obvious, that this is not directly related to that. I will find a way to make this world better for the both of us. Talking about the resetting the world to a utopian society or utopian ideals and her lover's belief that this world will never be good enough. Uh, and so a person who's heard that, who has experienced this, of course their means are going to be different. I said uh, recently Recently, with regard to White Rose's execution, if you will, or, or allowing the execution of Angela, uh, if you think about the time of that, as we talked about uh, the question when that occurred time-wise, White Rose allowing Grant to do the same thing and basically saying, like, I will find you. Uh, and so th- this is a person who seems also, by the way, that uh, Grant is definitely going to get line. getting passed over in the yeah, after. Get in line, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sucks to be Grant. Get in line. <laughs> Too bad for you, Grant. Uh, what a bummer for Grant. Yeah, what a bummer. Yeah. Uh, and, and we know White, White, White Rose has kind of gone through. I mean, we heard White Ro- Irving say the same, the same things to Grant. Like, oh, you're just the current person. Like, you're not really that relevant. Like, we, I think, know what White Rose's original real love was. And, and obviously, showing White Rose as White Rose to people like Grant is something White Rose does a lot more of. Very open with uh, Mr. Minister Zhang's current assistant saying, I want to wear this dress. People in Minister Zhang's life know now that she is White Rose. But it is something that uh, it still feels very significant when we see it happen for the first time in 1982. So I think this is the the original love and the one that has sustained uh, and fired this project throughout. Uh, and the, the patience line that is that is said through here, uh, it feels like patience is the trigger uh, that causes her lover to go over the edge. And so hearing her assistant say patience in the current timeline is enough to really set Zhang off and really say, Josh, no, we're going to have this meeting tomorrow. This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So Christmas Day, we've, we've gone, we've, we've really escalated, Antonio. We've gone from, uh, no, we're not going to, like, Philip, your demands are insane. We are not going to be able to do this at all by the end of the year to, no, we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to get this done tomorrow Uh, because as as White Rose's assistant very smartly, wisely points out, 
Grand Central got taken over. Your dipshit lawyer died on the same night. We've been waiting for Elliot to make his move. Elliot's making his move. It's happening right now. This is all occurring, and we need to start getting amped up for it to the point that it looks like by the end of the episode, at least, that Dark Army is actively spying on Elliot again um, uh, with, the, with the white van and everything. Uh, so uh, for, for White Rose, who has had blinders on to some degree, I think, like just feeling like the project's going to ship, everything's going to be fine, price has been slapped, price is in line, and things are very quickly starting to fall apart. Um, I think that like it, it can feel like uh, White Rose has been... Um, you know, closing her eyes and just kind of like nana nana nana. I don't want to hear it uh, about the danger that Elliot possesses right now uh, and has been like putting that off for a while. But the truth is, is that the timetable of the season is so truncated and short and quick um, that, you know, just the morning after Price has come to her, she's now being like, yeah, you know what? Shit's messed up and we got to start accounting for it. Yeah, tomorrow's Christmas. Let's get this into overdrive and let's get this going on. Um, for this holiday season, Antonio, that we've uh, been told has been like a five-day burst, Christmas is right down the barrel. We are a right. day away. Uh, so the old Christmas barrel. You know, so we're we're about to shoot down the chimney and get some cookies and milk. Uh, and I, I, I don't know that we're going to fit down the chimney. I haven't been uh, working out fast enough. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Going to be really, really compelling. Did you, uh, were you a cookies and milk household? I know um, you. Uh, I know yours was a Jewish household. Well, we celebrate. We, my mother is not Jewish. My father is. Uh, so uh, we did celebrate Christmas growing up. Um, we weren't really much of a Christmas and milk household. We really did you, uh, My father is too much of a skeptic to put out the Christmas and milk and not just feast on that himself. Uh, did you ever? Well, that's, I, I mean, yeah. My dad, the that. scientist, dude, really does not have much time for this bullshit. <laughs> so I guess that's a no on whether you ever left carrots for the reindeer. No, that never happened. I did not even know that that was a thing. I always like hearing people's Christmas traditions in that regard. And it is not surprising. Our Christmas traditions were, having it. Yeah, our Christmas traditions were that my dad would be like, seriously, Dee Dee? We're doing, <laughs> we're doing Christmas again this year. Can we not, please? We'd have the tree. We'd have the tree and everyone would go to sleep. And then me, like an asshole, would rummage around the house all night trying to, trying to figure out what toys uh, were, in the, were in the box at the tree. Uh, and I would like, try and like, very stealthily open them up and then close them back up. I was horrible. Horrible kid. Really bad guy. You were the other guy. I was the other guy. Yeah, I would be taken over by the the full id on Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. I was just too hyped up. I had to see if I was getting my new Wolverine action figure, uh, as played by Hugh Jackman in uh, the X-Men film (laughs) series, and not Doug Ray Scott, uh, sadly for Doug Ray Scott. Nobody wants that. Yeah, let me ask you this. Speaking of Christmas and Christmas traditions, uh, one of the great Christmas traditions is the the reading or the watching of uh, Christmas Carol. And if we are on Christmas Eve here in the Mr. Robot world, the Christmas Carol trope or the Christmas Carol motif of the three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. I think it's safe to say, if if we're talking about this being Christmas Eve, a White Rose's ghost of Christmas past definitely visited her. Yes. Um, yeah, with the, the trip to Fezziwigs and the trip to a love uh, that, that was unrequited or that didn't, fa- that didn't work out because someone chose work over... 
uh, over ultimately happiness, if you will. Um, that is a pretty nailed on Ghost of Christmas past story. Uh, I'd be interested to know as we talk through the rest of this episode whether we see a Ghost of Christmas present and a Ghost of Christmas yet to come uh, in the context of this story as well. It didn't read like uh, The Sopranos did sort of a Christmas Carol, I think, uh, in one of the dream episodes, uh, and there was some clarity there. But this, I think, uh, maybe was a little more loose, but it's an interesting structure that I want to talk about as we as we talk about the rest of the episode, because... We, it is Christmas Eve. Uh, White Rose says, or, or Minister Zhang says, the, the way to disrupt a man's plans is by destabilizing his timeline, which is a great quote, obviously, coming from White Rose, someone who is seemingly, as their stated goal, is destabilizing timelines. Uh, we're going to force them into a mistake. Uh, it just seemed like that's what's happening in the brinksmanship between Price and Elliot and White Rose uh, and Philip Price, all these players, that they're trying to make each other make mistakes by destabilizing timelines. Uh, we're talking about moving. Tyrell Wellick into the CEO. Yeah. Role. Oh my God. Which I'm so hyped for. Almost as hyped as Tyrell himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little too hyped. Actually. Too hyped. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's great. Cool down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's going to be the plan. It's like we don't have someone lined up for CEO. Wrong. We do. We've got the superhero Tyrell Wellick that everybody is so into across the world. They think that he is just a superstar. Uh, that'll be a very easy sell. Uh, and so that's great. Like that's just another piece on the board of like how this is all going to come together. Uh, and that puts Tyrell presumably like in that meeting, right? Of the Deus group, like you can imagine Tyrell getting that invite, um, you know, assuming that he and Elliot are able to get out of whatever predicament they're in by the end of this episode. So that's a really, really exciting possibility uh, that, that White Rose floats out there. Definitely. It looks like, uh, I mean, that we've got a lot that we could have fun with in that regard. That was the promise, I think, given to, uh, Wellick when Mr. Robot sat in that room with Philip Price in that, in that great scene in season three. It's like, we can use this role. Like, you're, even though you're going to be the, the, the feckless CTO, we can use it. We're going to find a way to weaponize this. And here we have it put on a plate. Like, we're going to make you CEO. Uh, this, you, you got to think the possibilities are pretty great about where we could go. Vis-a-vis like the Avengers, vis-a-vis the great team, uh, if we're talking about Wellick and Price uh, and Elliot all being on the same page with Darlene uh, supporting Mr. Robot, supporting all these characters. One of the people, Josh, I think we had previously had, speaking of Ghosts of Christmas Past, on the board as somebody who could be part of an Avengers team, seemingly does not seem to be interested in it. That is Krista. We meet up with Krista again, Josh, and this does not go well. It does not go well. And I think that talking about Krista will probably very naturally lead us into also talking about uh, somebody who unfortunately Vera. has Krista on his radar, which is horrifying. Yeah, Vera. Um, but this run-in between Elliot and Krista is is great for us as viewers, terrible for Elliot. It's very awkward, and uh, Krista very rightfully is like, yeah, I want nothing to do with you. Listen, New York is uh, it's a, it's a big place, but a small place, and you run into people that you know all the time. Is it a little convenient that they run into each other on the street here? Do they really live this close together? Maybe a touch, uh, but maybe not. You know, maybe Elliot, who is somebody who is afraid of the of the greater world and being part of society, wanted to find a therapist that lived close by to him, so the commute was short. 
I certainly relate to that. Uh, so it doesn't make uh, it's not it's not too too crazy for me. Um, also possible he was looking for her. That's also the other possible. read, right? Like yeah. he he mentions he's been trying to reach out to her. It seems important for him to talk to her about this when he sees her on the street. And the voiceover we get before that is Mr. Robot again talking to us about Russian roulette, uh, and he mentions episode four hundred four. Josh, he says Elliot's throwing me a forbidden error about Vera. So they're not talking about Vera. We know that the other guy, seemingly, uh, or at least some third personality that Darlene may have told about Vera, knows about Vera. But Elliot found out the hard way, and Mr. Robot doesn't know what's going on. So that's the that is the what we're we're talking about and what is being talked about as we run into Krista. It doesn't seem like it, it does seem like accidental, but it doesn't seem like accidents really happen. So you do wonder about this. I mean, I'm given to wonder if he did this on purpose uh, as bait. Uh, if there's some kind of connection here, I don't know. It does not go well with Krista. Josh, when I first watched this, um, Vera's uh, associate who was following Elliot around sort of stumbled into the scene and kind of looked around like confused a little bit. I was like, was that the other guy? I thought for a minute that this (laughs) was the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It wouldn't be that obvious, would it? Is this this the same guy from uh, season one? Uh, the the who was following Elliot around all day when he was doing all of his errands for for Vera. My, my the memory dictate of it, guy. Yeah, my fem, my memory of it isn't quite as fresh as it ought to be on that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, either way, I'll I'll say like there's the there's the moment where Elliot tells Krista like I'm better now, um, and you see Mister Robot in the back. Uh, over his shoulder. Um, but this is like the first time, this is our first new episode post other one reveal, right? Like the fact that there is an other one to even consider. So you're watching it a little bit differently, searching for clues. And like, I don't have too much on that front other than thinking that like, as I've said to Antonio offline, I feel like we are we are in the desert where the money is buried. We just don't have the exact coordinates of the money but i feel like we're close that's how i feel about where we are with what we predicted on on the other one reveal last week i think that there are other shoes to drop and i think that there will probably be additional wrinkles that we are not even considering but i think we're in like the general general area i hope um but i will say that watching him say like i'm better now mr robot is right over his shoulder and Mr. Robot is a show that plays a lot with like negative space or strange camera angles where a character is all the way on the left of the screen or the right of the screen and here, if you if you pause it at like, uh, you know, it, it's like right in the middle of this scene with with Krista, like all the angles on Elliot have it. So there is enough space for there to be a third person in Interesting. frame uh, for, for Elliot to be backed by Mr. Robot and a third person who is just not there, who's just not visible. And what it, it, it got me thinking a couple of things. Like, one, like, holy crap, I can't believe there's another one. <laughs> like, it's just had me, like, thinking about that again. And I, know, and I know that we'll have some feedback where there's some people who find uh, who, are, who are calling BS on, on this uh, already at this point, on the, the fact that the other one is even a thing to be considering right now. Um, but it got, it got me thinking about, like, what's going to happen deep into the series where how much of that space is going to get filled out? Like, will we go back to old scenes and will we see another person 
literally like plugged into the scene. Uh, like, will we see like people superimposed? What does superimposed mean? Like, are we going to see that happen uh, across the way at some later point down the line? Um, that was one thing that I was thinking about after this scene with Elliot and Krista. I think that's cool. I mean, and it's something that if you're going back and rewatching again, look for framing like that. That is not something I had been considering, but you're right. Think about the prison reveal, right? Where we find out after Elliot's in prison, when we see him, when Krista says like, where do you think you are? And then we see him gradually be revealed to be in prison and we see the orange jumpsuit and the light and all that. Uh, And then we see a little bit of similar scenes uh, that we've seen throughout, uh, but they're slightly different uh, as we see the next episode uh like the cafeteria and places that he had been to and the cell and all of it um there's a possibility we're going to see these scenes a little bit differently it happened a lot in season one the fight club of it all uh is relevant there uh where you see only one person in the actual scene uh when the camera pulls back a man choking himself or a man running himself into the wall uh like in season three um but these are obviously mr robot is a key person in the show to us um when he does give that voiceover i think he said i think i said 404 he says forbidden arrow which is 403 so he's right there on the episode title uh he's on point I'm not. But uh, the Forbidden Error is about Vera. Uh, and so I do wonder if we're going to get, like I said, is there a possibility that the guy, the, the other guy didn't not only just ignore Vera, did he play along? Did, it doesn't seem from when we're talking about Vera here like that's in play. I'm sure that that's something that I know that's been theorized. Like maybe the other guy is somebody who went out and sought Vera out and they've actually been on the same team. When we see Vera in this episode, Josh, that does not seem to be the case. Let's talk about that. That because we've been waiting to see Vera uh, for for a while now, ever since that post credit scene in season three, Vera gets name dropped at the end of 402, and it's pretty much overshadowed by the other one reveal. Again, once again, Vera is like insignificant, rendered insignificant. Now we have a little bit more detail. Vera's still up to his old tricks to some degree, uh, killing people with seemingly very little regard for, you know, the the fragility of human existence, uh, you know, slapping drugs into turkeys. Uh, or are they chickens? I couldn't tell if it was a turkey or a chicken. I, I couldn't tell either. I'm birds of a feather. A, birds it was of a chicken. This, is, this may be the ghost of Christmas present either way is what we're seeing here with Vera for sure. Yeah. And we find out a little bit more about what it is Vera wants. Vera wants to be uh, the, the, the big man in charge of New York, wants to be the king of New York, Bill Pullman style, uh, wants, to, wants to rock this place. And he wants Elliot to be his partner. He doesn't want to coerce Elliot. He doesn't want to like have to like hold something over on Elliot. He doesn't want to blackmail Elliot into cooperation. He wants Elliot to sign on as a partner. Um, how many people have tried to do this with Elliot Alderson and have gotten what they want? Why should we believe that uh, Fernando Vera is going to be any more successful in this effort of recruiting Elliot into a cause that Elliot himself is not that interested in? I feel like uh, Fernando Vera is going to be as disappointed when Elliot rejects the job offer as Tyrell Wellick was back in the uh, second episode of the first season. Yeah, speaking of that room, uh, I, I think so too. It does, we see how Fernando Vera. King of New York just means just, he just wants to be in charge of the underground, right? Like yes, that's, what you, that's I, how you read it? think and not the actual king of new york although i you know just who knows vary 
your mileage yeah. may vary. Um, yeah. You could also, I was thinking you could ask your wife, Emily Fox, whether that was a chicken. She would definitely know. Um, but uh, but he, we see how he handles disappointment in this very scene. Not well. He, he doesn't handle it well. <laughs> They're back at the restaurant also, by the way, where... Uh, I want where, that painting. God, can someone can someone tell me how to get that painting or more by that artist? I'm dying. That is a, an incredible painting. So this I'm is, this is very, very HQ, obviously, right? Like this is yes. where Shayla had been taken. This right. is where Ellie and Shayla were back in the episode where Shayla died. Uh, so for Fernando to come back into town and just hide out here, no one's going to bat an eye. No one's going to bat an eye about a guy just getting shot in the kitchen. Uh, certainly no one batted an eye back in the day when like uh, Shayla and uh, Elliot were like forcibly removed from the restaurant. Right. Uh, so this is uh, neutral ground. This is full safe haven for Fernando Barros. The little kid didn't even bat an eye when that Everyone guy was got cool shot. Yeah, very desensitized. The little kid didn't even up. I mean, come on. You know what I like about this, though? I, I know we're trying to like track Ghosts of Christmas Past and Christmas Present and Christmas Future and all of that. And I'm sure that that's still stuff that we could just like look at along the way here in the Christmas-themed final season of Mr. Robot, not just on Christmas Eve in the universe of Mr. Robot. Um, but one thing that I, that I love about this episode, and it's just a little bit of Fernando Vera here. It's not a ton. But we're getting reminded that a guy like him is out there, and we know what Elliot is up against right now, where he is aiming very high. He is aiming at the very tippy top of the mountain um, as like his final endgame reveal. But the rest of Elliot's story in this adventure, uh, in this adventure, in this episode is about pulling him back to reality to some degree and finding human connection again, uh, as he does in the case of Olivia Cortez, uh, that he is being reminded that he is a flesh and blood person who's been through a lot. And there are other people who have been through a lot, uh, who have, who have lost people and, and who are, who feel responsible for losing people for a whole variety of very human reasons that are certainly a lot more, uh, you know, lower stakes potentially, um, than the, 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 the world ending stakes that, that Elliot is dealing with. And in that same way, what I love about this episode is that the first 15 minutes hinge on final boss, White Rose, right? Like uh, highest of the high. Uh, the, 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 if, if Vera is angling to be king of New York, this is the person who is angling to be king of the universe uh, or the queen of the universe, as it would be with White Rose. Um, and, and Vera is on that underground level, wants to conquer the underground. And it's a nice reminder that, yeah, Elliot has to deal with this great grand existential threat. Um, but there is this interpersonal, small-scale, low-level threat that is equally dangerous in his own right. So what we're setting up here with still 10 episodes left to go in the final season is this high-low variance in villainy, uh, which could be really, really exciting, especially as we're playing out over the course of a small number of days that maybe before Elliot is able to settle whatever score he needs to settle with White Rose, it's going to have to settle up with Vera first. I Definitely. think it's it's starting to crystallize for me a little bit more how Vera factors into the end game, and unfortunately, I think uh, you could say crystallizing uh, oh. because Vera certainly has his eye on Elliot's therapist, and Krista uh, has been able to dodge. Uh, like the real deep, severe action of this show. Certainly she has suffered blowback from Elliot's actions in the past with the Lenny Michael of it all. Um, but this looks very dangerous for her to be pinging on Vera's radar in the way that, that she pings of like, this is somebody who uh, Elliot is sad, is mad at him. I need to know more about her. Vera finding out more about Krista cannot be good. No. No, it can't. And it, it, it won't be good for Krista. It won't be good for Elliot. It won't be good for us. 
it is interesting that you're reading it as crystallizing that we've got the minor threat, the existential threat, the very personal threat, um, the, the threat that it's just like, I got these other things to worry about. I can't even spend time thinking about this other thing. I, I do wonder, is there any world where Vera and Elliot can work together? Or do you think that this scene shows that there's no chance of that happening? I think there's still a chance that like they can they can work together for like a a quick goal. Uh, you know, we talked about that too. This idea that like they could just like team up very briefly before uh, like the the final point of the heist, where they can you know I can trust you in so far as it, it's it's in your best interest to work with me right now towards this thing that is in both of our best interests, but only one of us can walk away as the winner. Uh, you know, the survivor strategy stuff. Um, I think that that could still be in play, but it's going to depend a lot on how the Krista factor shakes out, which is a really new wild card element that is brought up in this episode. And I'm very nervous about how that's going to play. I guess like I am, ah, uh, by saying this, I'm, I'm, I'm risking a lot. Uh, but I, I guess you're risking a whole lot. I, I guess that I am more optimistic for Krista's chances in her oh, encounter no. with Fernando Vera, because oh, no. it would feel a little repetitive if, her dealings with Fernando Vera just bared out the exact same as how it bears out with Shayla, right? Um, that maybe she'll fare better if she somehow like pings larger onto Vera's radar. But in even articulating that, I'm like, oh shit, she's toast. <laughs> that, that's not good. But if that's what happens, or if Vera harms her in any kind of way, then yeah, like whatever avengering possibility between Vera and Elliot um, is uh, on the table right now, I think that that goes away immediately. And Chris is right, I think, to fear her interactions with Elliot. Uh, we don't know, as we talked about, whether this was coincidence that they ran into each other. If it's fate, fate is really bad for Krista, right? Because you presume that if she doesn't run into Elliot in that way, uh, when Elliot is specifically being followed by Vera's guy, uh, then whatever horrible fate befalls Krista wouldn't have befallen her. So the dice just tossed the wrong direction that day, and therefore Krista died. Like All of these things don't sound good to me in terms of uh, really doing well by the story and by the character for Krista. So I think it'll be something more than that. Uh, I mean, maybe the more to it than that is that Elliot didn't find Krista by accident. I don't know that we can read that into this story. I don't think it's there in this episode. And I'm not sure there's a way to really fill that in. So if you read it as an accident, I don't think Krista is going to die simply because of a random accident. That said, that seems to be what happened to Gideon. Like you're just if you're in Elliot's orbit and Elliot touches you as he's spinning out of control, bad things are going to happen to you. Uh, So, I mean, again, though, we're. We're talking about Gideon and comparing Gideon. Uh, and if we compare Angela, whose hands were much dirtier, by the way, than Krista's or Gideon's, um, then are we just really treading over the same ground, like you're saying? And is there something more we could get out of it um, than just dangling Krista out there as bait? I hope there is something more to that. I am looking forward to seeing, I guess, looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Well, little I, nervous. I guess I would say that, like... Um with the reveal that that Elliot has more inside of him than Mr. Robot, potentially that there is another personality to contend with or another, yeah, like another facet of Elliot. Um, and we've seen Krista be effective in summoning Mr. Robot out of Elliot in therapy sessions. Is Krista somebody who can be instrumental in the reveal of the other one to us? And if that's the case, does Krista need to be in some form of duress that Elliot is able to like save her from? And in so doing maybe like, change her feelings towards him to some degree, help her understand him better, get them in a position where she is going to be more open to helping him out. Um, 
those are those are some of like the loose threads that I could start seeing getting tied together the deeper we get into the season. That's like the Definitely. optimistic potential outcome for what could happen with Krista here. So let's root for that. <laughs> I like it because because she is such a remnant of Elliot's past, right? And she's such a remnant, an important part of, of Elliot's past, more so than all safe, which as we are continually reminded is in a shambles uh, and has collapsed down around the people that worked in it. And many of the people that worked in it are dead. Somehow Ollie has survived. Uh, but a lot of the other characters have died that worked at All Safe. Uh, Elliot is still there for, you know, despite all that, choosing it as his base of operations. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with Vera uh, or Krista or Elliot in that way before we talk about Elliot, Darlene, and then the mission that Elliot goes on to get more information about the Deus Group and the Cypress National Bank? Yeah, and I think we should talk about that. Uh, we, should, we should shift to that whole that whole deal. And just like to set the stage on on what it is, is Olivia is Susan Jacobs's bank contact for the Deus Group in America, right? That is who Olivia right. Cortez is. right. Right. That's and so she is. Yeah. And there, there isn't anything more to it because something like that, because it's such a significant thing, needs to be a one to one thing. It doesn't there's not a huge operation. There's not a huge enterprise. It's one person to one person. Right. Uh, and it keeps the circle tight. Right. Like, you know, right. It's, it's part of how these things are able to stay, stay safe. Um, but as we have seen Elliot do so many times, there's always an exploit uh, and uh, exploits are found with Olivia. Olivia, who uh, is played by Dominic Garcia. I don't know if that's pronounced Dominique Garcia, uh, who is the daughter of Andy Garcia, the actor. Uh, really great performance by her as Olivia here. Um, she is somebody who, much like Elliot, is lonely. Uh, is somebody who has a history of drug abuse, has a history of losing parents and losing people that she's loved. And not unlike Elliot and White Rose having a lot more in common than you would think at first glance, Elliot and Livia end up having a lot more in common than you would think at first glance. Uh, but this is Elliot who is very mission oriented right now and does not have time for the ants on the street. You know, like his, his, his view is much higher. He is looking, he's looking at the bigger picture. And this is an episode that forces him to be grounded back in that. So he's going to go on the sprawling date that he would have happily just like intimidated the shit out of her to get all of the information he wanted. I don't know how well that would have worked. So I'm glad that things went the way that they did. And hopefully this has a little bit of a happier ending in the grand scheme of things uh, than it has worked out for Elliot in the past. We will talk about that for sure. I think maybe before we even launch into any of that, should we talk about the fact that Elliot basically just like grounds uh, Darlene here? Uh, and basically tells Darlene, like, yeah, I know I told you you could help out. Thanks for the information on Olivia Cortez. Stay here. I would like to talk about this from a number of angles, actually. Uh, the first being, it's great that Elliot appeals to Mr. Robot uh, and basically says, like, can you talk to her? Can you handle her? Because Darlene is insistent that it will be Darlene that goes through uh, with this, with the burglary. Darlene wants to participate in burglarizing uh, the house uh, where Olivia lives to try to find more information on Olivia and get into her Cypress accounts and get that information. Uh, and Elliot says to Robot, will you talk some sense into her? When Robot tries to do so, Darlene says, I've had it with this protective older brother act. And then we see Elliot brace Darlene physically. And Darlene say, you're hurting me. And Elliot say, I know. And Darlene says, is this you or? And Elliot says, it's me. It's me. 
Yeah, is this the? Uh, yeah, it, it was May. Is that? Is that? Is this the? Just there's a little robot in Elliot, a little Elliot in robot switcheroo that we've seen happening now in throughout the course of this fourth season, or is there something more to this in your mind, Josh? No, this is the switcheroo for me. Like I, I don't see another one here. I see this is robot and Elliot and Elliot and robot, right? Like I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that there's like a huge leap away from that binary still. I don't either. And as I said previously, when we talked about the other one, that this is the difficult part, right? Because even when you go back and you watch uh, previous seasons, when you see Elliot differently, the easy way to read it is, well, that's Robot. Like, that, that's Elliot as Mr. Robot. And that, it, again, I think lends credence to the idea that the other one's going to have to be something vastly different to be noticeable on a rewatch, to be something that will make sense. Uh, again, maybe lending more credence to your theory uh, about it being us in some way, uh, or some grander theory that isn't just, okay, there's going to be another personality of Elliot in some of these scenes that's going to be more clear. Because most of the time, I think that the line gets muddled. It's going to be muddled, whether it's Elliot or Robot, like it is here, and not some other way. Uh, Darlene does say, like, what is happening to you specifically, uh, as though there's something changing with Elliot. Uh, but what we don't know, Josh, I think I, I want to talk about just... Eh, I can't, I can't not talk about this. The next scene, uh, after this moment, so basically what happens is Darlene says, nothing is ever going to change with you, is it? And Elliot says, no, it's not. Then Elliot says, I never should have opened my door when you came back into town. We've talked a ton on this podcast about whether or not that was actually an inciting incident for Elliot, whether or not in some way Darlene was sent or Darlene's presence motivated him. We saw the scene when they watched the careful massacre of the bourgeoisie, Elliot only gets the uh, Mr. Robot jacket out of the closet and puts the mask on and starts talking about stage one and stage two of the hack on Halloween of that year when Darlene shows up and says in it one. She literally says a code word uh, to change the tenor of the scene. And so I think a lot of people have speculated, is Darlene somehow a trigger for Elliot? Uh, is she, was she sent back by design to get these, these wheels rolling in motion? We know Elliot was having problems before that. He was in therapy with Krista in part because he destroyed a server room. Uh, so we know that, that Darlene not being in the story may have led to some previous behavior from Elliot. But Darlene being in the story very clearly uh, has led to the hack directly. And it is Elliot here who says, I never should have opened my door when you came back into town. So there's that level of it. Do you have anything to say about that particular level of it? Not particularly. Um, yeah. No. Nothing. I don't think the needle really moves on it yeah, here. Yeah, not uh, But me. it is re-referenced. I mean, I would just say it's re-referenced. Yeah, absolutely. That Darlene coming back into town uh, was the impetus for this whole thing to get started again. Uh, putting it right there on, on, on our plates, right there in the middle of the story uh, again. Uh, what it moves something... for me is the, is the thematics of this episode. And, and I right. guess a greater thematic uh, engine of Mr. Robot is disconnection versus connection. Uh, and here he is once again waving his hand at connection. Like, how dare you come back into my life? Um, um, in this episode being um, really in, in so many ways all about how much we mean to each other uh, as people, how much how much a person can can change your life um, and 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 what what it means to be a human being, I think, is something that is very much at play here. And that has always been in its own way forbidden to Elliot, uh, that that is always something that he has he has come. He has arrived at with great difficulty in the past, but always with great difficulty. Uh, and so I think him saying this about Darlene, you never should have come here, interacts with that idea. Um, beyond that, beyond the thematic level, I don't see too much in terms of um, forward momentum on the plot. 
the thematic uh, interpretation that you've just articulated, I think, is a very, very good one because it also influences the next scene, which I'm sure people who are listening with their ears perked up uh, will talk about, uh, which is when Mr. Robot starts his voiceover in the next scene, he says there's no word for it. And then he lists like orphan, widow, widower. What do you call someone who has lost everyone is what he says. Then he lists the people that Elliot has lost. And he says, mom, dad, sister, girlfriend, friends. He's a walking time bomb. So he lists sister on a list of people that Elliot has affirmatively lost to death. His mom, his dad, his girlfriend, his friends. Uh, And he lists sister in the context of orphan, widow, and widower, active loss. So I think people are going to say, like, why did Mr. Robot put Elliot's sister in a group of dead people with words about people who die? But I think you're right. Thematically, there's a loss there. Do you think there's something more here other than the thematic element? It's hard for me to imagine the scenario where Darlene is also dead, just because we've seen so much of her. Unless Elliot is also going to uh, Angela's apartment and crying and throwing these huge parties, right? Like, if that right. is also Elliot, but how is how is he uh, experiencing what Darlene is experiencing in season two while he's in jail? Uh, does the timeline allow for any of that? I no, don't I don't think, think so. so. Yeah, I, here, here's what I'll say. Uh, we had some feedback from Alex Wilpon pointing out last week in the episode when Darlene is talking about the hack that she's put in Signal and saying the GPS is available. She says to Elliot, hand me your phone. And then Darlene, no knows how to unlock Elliot's phone. Now, of course, she could have seen him doing it, or she could know him well enough to know what the password are. Both of those are, I think, fair reads. Uh, Or the show could just be sloppy. That's another read. Or there could be something more to it. Uh, And if you read that as Darlene is already dead by that point, I don't think you can go back to season one, for example, when Darlene is in ballet with Angela and say, Darlene was dead then. That was Elliot. You can't do that. You can't go back to when Elliot is in jail and Darlene is killing Susan Jacobs and saying, Darlene was dead then. Elliot was doing that. That's not the case. I'm not even sure you can do it in the present timeline. I don't think you can. Is it possible that Fernando Vera killed Darlene at the end of season three after we saw that scene and that she hasn't been present as a living character in this season only? I think with like this, it would be such a full on rejection of reality for Elliot that we've done before that I think would be really frustrating Um, when his whole his whole driving uh, force right now is not just like toppling White Rose because it's the right thing to do, but also toppling White Rose uh, as Darlene articulates in the most recent episode. Like, it's not just you White Rose is going to kill. She's going to kill me as well. Dark Army will get me. And this is why Elliot doesn't want her involved. He doesn't want her getting hurt the way that Angela got killed. Um, So for Darlene to like already be dead and he's like fabricating her or something like this as a coping mechanism would really just kind of fly in the face of his current motivation in a way that I think would be would, would be tough for me to weather. I don't expect it's what's happening. I think I think it's just thematic stuff. I think it's I, I think like she is an outlier in in the group that you reference that Mr. Robot is talking about there uh, when they're talking about, uh, you know, the grieving process in in terms of fatalities. Uh, what you know, who do you become and what do you become when you lose, uh, you know, a, a spouse or a sibling or, or, you know, friends, your father, your parents. Um, and he has not physically, literally lost 
Darlene, but the way that Elliot is talking to Darlene in this episode, he's certainly in the process of, of losing her from his life emotionally. Um, so it, it works in that way. Um, this is a show that, much like The Thing, does engender paranoia. Uh, so for it to, to kickstart a line of paranoid thinking about what if Darlene is dead right now, I get it. I just don't give it a lot of attention, personally. I understand. And you'd have to almost ignore some of the stuff that's happening in this very episode. Like later, when Elliot is able to obtain the code uh, from the RFID device or whatever you want to call it. I forget uh, exactly what they're called. Um, but when he gets the code from the device, he texts it to Dolores Hayes or Dolores Hayes, which we understand to be Darlene's hacker handle and Darlene's handle within Signal. So if And she responds. So if he's doing that, is he just imagining that? Is someone else at the other end of that? Uh, or is it Darlene? Like, that's the part where it's like, okay, so we're going to have to explain away a lot more than just Darlene having drug parties in Angela's apartment. Uh, we're going to have to explain away how Dar- Elliot was communicating with Darlene there. Uh, and and was it Elliot that was yelling at the bank manager? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there is going to be more than just uh, scenes between Darlene and uh, Elliot directly where you could say, oh, well, there's only one person in that scene uh, when Elliot is in the church uh, and having the discussion with Darlene. That's Elliot bearing his own soul uh, with, you know, kneeling down or there's a cross in the background. Uh, That's Elliot bearing his own soul. And Darlene was a a representation there. Maybe a scene like that cuts in another direction and you want to read it a certain type of way. But these scenes where Darlene is actively present uh, or seemingly present, I think, read a lot harder Uh, when Darlene inevitably, I think, is going to touch base again with DDP, for example. I don't see how we're going to read that as, well, she's dead. And that was Elliot. Like, no, by that point. Hopefully we will have put this to bed, but I think the episode invites it. And I think that it's just possible. Josh, we talked about uh, we talked about the haunting of Hill House. Yes, I'm going to reference the haunting of Hill House, uh, an episode about ghosts. We talked about that here on post show recaps and ghosts can be many things. They can be the ghost of Christmas past uh, where you see your own events or they can be metaphorical. They can be ghosts, things that you're carrying around with you that aren't necessarily memory. A ghost is a memory. Yeah, that's a direct line from the episode, right? So yeah. it could be anything. Uh, and so Darlene being given, put, you know, named on a list of the dead doesn't necessarily mean that Darlene is dead, but it is certainly worth talking about uh, because, you know, orphan, widow, and widower, somebody died. Uh, someone who has lost everyone, mom, dad, girlfriend, friends, all those people died. Uh, mom and sister did not. M- Mr. Robot's voiceovers, by the way, in this episode, they're about Russian roulette uh, and walking time bombs. They're not good, Josh. Gosh. I'm loving Mr. Robot having this role, though. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's so fun to hear Christian Slater's voice in this context. I think it's it's been it's been great, and to kind of get different perspectives on life uh, in a in a way that almost feels like even more battle hardened than what Elliot has gone through. Definitely. Uh, and I don't know if that's just like the weight of Christian Slater's age and status within the industry, and just like the you know the, the heft that he brings to this part, because this is a man who's been working for decades uh, and has been iconic. In, in in many different roles before this one. Um, you know, I, I think that there's just so much uh, gravitas that he adds to it. And so to, to call upon him for his services here of the narration has been uh, has been really, really wonderful. Um, but it's also really wonderful I know to, see him, say. to see him acting as Elliot's wingman uh, and uh, throwing down the Mac at Olivia Cortez <laughs> at the bar. Um, yeah, I think we can kind of just yada yada to that to that point right like you know they go yeah. and, and they ransack the 
apartment. And once again, it's a cool way of depicting how Elliot and Robot are working in concert with each other, that they're allowed to do different things. We can just do the mental legwork that this is more interesting to watch than to watch them both doing the same exact freaking thing. Um, you know, visually, it's just a, it's, it's just a better way of conveying the information. Uh, but they basically reason that the way that they're going to be able to get to Olivia is if they go and like uh, crash her date. Uh, she's got she's got a Christmas Eve date uh, with you know she's got an OK Cupid date that she has to go to, and they're gonna crash it. And Elliot's plan is basically just like to use all the information that he's gotten from her. She's got a kid. Uh, she's got a drug addiction. We're just gonna blackmail the shit out of you, and you're gonna have to give me the stuff. And Mister Robot's like, can't you just like buy her a drink? Can't you just do some of that good old social engineering that you've done in the past? Uh, and Elliot, like, you know, sprints right up to her and just, like, dead stares her. Uh, like, he, like she's freaking, like, Rohit, uh, you know? <laughs> like, like, she runs She's AFK, like, Josh. She's yeah. AFK. Like, she, like, runs like a, you know, like a sexually illicit, you know, criminal enterprise on the internet. Uh, I mean, I guess, like, you know, she's kind of, like, tied up in Dark Army. I don't she know. She kind how, of does, in a yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know how much she knows. And certainly we know from, from Dom um, how hard it is, uh, you know, that some of these people who do work for the Dark Army aren't doing it because they want to. Uh, so, you know, we may be inclined to forgive Olivia to a certain degree. Though, again, to reference Lost, uh, there was the time in The Economist, season four, episode three, when Saeed falls in love with someone who he thinks is very innocent. It turns out she's a willing participant in the Charles Widmore scandal. Yep. So who knows what's up with Olivia? Is she somebody who's going to turn on Elliot? We just don't know at this point, but it seems like a very natural, uh, easy, actual connection that they do make, and I prefer that read, certainly. Uh, but Elliot like walks up to her and like just gives her the death stare, and then he's about to like go all the way in, and Mr. Robot's like, I want to buy you a drink. I'm Elliot. Now you know me. And it's just like, oh, my God, I love it. Oh, it's so good. It's like, your move, kiddo. And it's not just he's like a great wingman and he's bringing out this great side of Elliot. But it's like kind of cute on that level of like if this is father and son. Right. And it's like that long lost bonding time. And it's that thing that you were missing. And like, what would your dad do if he were here right now? Um, that I'm sure a lot of people think about and, and go through. Or like, what would that person who like you know that they would just have your they would they would know what to do in this situation. What if that person was here and he's here for Elliot uh, and he helps him through this moment. And the ethics of it are certainly questionable, uh, but the way that it's presented and the way that it plays out and especially in an episode that I think we could pretty easily declare as like the most romantic episode of Mr. Robot um, in, a, in a lot of ways. Uh, I loved how this played out. I just thought it was great, Antonio. Yeah, it's very romantic. It contains such a bon mots as my mom died yesterday. Uh, I'm addicted to morphine. <laughs> yeah. Um, not only For Mr. Robot, I mean, this I is roses are ago. red. You know, roses <laughs> were red in this episode. Yes. What, did someone hold you down and force you to do it? Yeah. <laughs> are you crazy or something? I guess so. Like, very romantic. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. It is. There is a human connection that's forged here. Uh, and it isn't, it isn't one of those, like, uh, 155 end of the night kind of connections, even though... It is. Uh, there is some desperation here. Uh, Evan was involved. I love Mr. Robot's take on Evan. Uh, Mr. Robot ranting about Evan. That was really, really funny. Uh, I'm laugh. I've watched the episode a few times now, and I laughed every time. Yeah. Uh, his name's Evan for fuck's sake. Like I laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. I laugh at his interest, like being classic Evan, like the things he's into, social media influencing. That's just really, really funny. Uh, but there's just the 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 the, the sort of a meat cute, uh, and the cute is there. The meat is there. It works. Works. Um, it works really well. Uh, I, I just really enjoy this. I also really like when Evan does show up. 
And clearly Olivia wants no part of Evan anymore. And she had started to forge a connection with Elliot. Uh, and then Olivia looks at Elliot when Evan shows up like, well, are you going to do something? Like, are you going to say she's with me or get out of here, buddy? You don't know who you're talking to or whatever. Elliot doesn't do anything. <laughs> and I love that. It made me laugh a lot. Although he eventually does. It's funny because Mr. Robot comes in and says, well, I got to give you credit. You lasted longer than I thought yeah, you would. Yeah, it's like that was much better than I expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah. And then Elliot jumps up and, uh, you know, uh, kind of honoring uh, Darlene's words about Elliot in the season three stinger in the post credit scene of season three when she's walking around with the woman of the night. And the woman of the night is like, uh, does, do you need me to do something for your brother? And she's like, no, I don't think so. But he definitely needs to get laid. Uh, that happens for your boy here. It does. <laughs> And, and but but I do Christmas think Christmas is here. Christmas is here. The white Christmas Stockings indeed. Were hung by the uh, with yeah, and and I think um, you know this human connection is good. This is good. This is bringing Elliot back to some level of reality. He's able to get the information out of her that he needs without destroying this person. Um, you know, this person doesn't end up with their brains blown out on the corner of uh, New York City, right outside of Grand Central Station. You know, like this is a much cleaner affair, at least for now. Um, so that's that's, that's fantastic. Do you think that this is a character who is going to be sticking around for the long haul? Do you think that this is just a done in one? Uh, what are your expectations for Olivia Cortez? I wanted to ask you the same thing, but I wanted to phrase it as in terms of what you wanted versus what you thought would happen. I actually would like to see uh, this as this be a character that shows up again. On the other hand, I just don't see a world where Elliot can forge a relationship with the only U.S. contact of Cyprus National Bank. Or maybe not the only U.S. contact, but the single E-Corp contact with the Deus Group, Cyprus National Bank. It just seems like she's too caught up and her hands got to be too bloody uh, for Elliot to forge a, uh, an ongoing connection with her. That said, while Elliot wasn't completely honest with her, he wasn't overtly dishonest with her. Yes, he was trying to take something from her in terms of getting that code, uh, but there was a true vulnerability between the two of them. She shared some obvious vulnerabilities about herself, but Elliot did too. Uh, Elliot re- referenced back, uh, don't delete me, and he reference back uh, the time when he almost took his own life uh, and <laughs> making a promise uh, that he promised a little kid he was going to take him to go see the Martian is what ultimately stopped him from doing it. And I hope Elliot makes good on that promise as well, Josh, uh, even though I don't think it's likely we will see that by the end of the series. I just hope for an Elliot uh, where there are positive things in the future. And you think about something like this as one of the positive things that could happen. It's funny because if you, if you think back, was it in season two where Elliot had that sort of dream sequence when he was playing chess with Mr. Robot or he was evaluating whether he should take that chance and he wanted to foresee a future where things were made right and even in the future that he foresaw where he was making things right the E-Corp building was destroyed and they were sitting at a table in the alley and even even we were there Josh uh, speaking of us having a role in the story uh, there was a seat for us at that table um, but that is Elliot giving a hug to Bill those are kind of weird people from all safe showing up, although no Gideon. Tyrell and Joanna and their baby are there shaking hands with Lloyd. Uh, they're just, it's a weird combination. So Elliot's view of the future, as we've seen him personally dare to articulate it in the past, has been very screwed up. I got to imagine there's a better future out there for Elliot. And that future could, uh, speaking of Elliot uh, and Muhammad, uh, Trenton's brother, uh, include Elliot uh, being in a relationship with someone who had a child uh, and being a positive role model for a child like that. Uh, but Elliot also 
also suffers from mental illness. So there are a lot of things that have to be to be made right with Elliot, I think, before he can get to that point. I'm not sure we can do all of that over Christmas. So do you see a scenario where we see more Olivia in this story in that regard or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely a scenario where we see more of Olivia in the story. I just don't think that it's like a, an even line, right? Like if Olivia's drawn deeper into Mr. Robot, then danger lies that way. So I actually hope we never see her again. She seemed very pleasant and <laughs> lovely and wonderful, and I want no harm to befall her. It sounds like she's been through enough. Because of that, I'm sure we will definitely see her again, and horrible things will happen. Uh, and Elliot will have to save her or try to save her and probably fail or maybe succeed, or she will be able to save herself, or maybe she's going to turn on Elliot like we had sketched out a couple of minutes ago. Certainly possible. But I think that this is uh, an impactful character who arrives here in uh, episode three of season four. That I, I would be surprised if we don't see her again. Then again, there's so much to do. There's still a lot happening on Mr. Robot that maybe maybe what this meant um, was really just to ground him again. And, and that's the purpose of this interaction. That's the purpose of this scene and getting what he's able to get from Olivia. Maybe he's not going to need to have another interaction with her during the very tight timeline that we're dealing with here in the final season. And in that scenario, maybe Elliot succeeds at the end of the day, is able to, to begin the process of moving on with his life. And maybe there is that better future that you're talking about. And like maybe in that scenario, you see Olivia end game of the series. Maybe they're able to embark on something there. Maybe we don't get to see her between now and then. If we do see her between now and then, I fear it. I'm a feared of it. Antonio, I'm a, I'm a feared of the interactions for, I am for too. a I'm, variety of reasons. I'm actually reminded of the final season of The Punisher on Netflix, uh, where Frank Castle came into contact with another similarly wounded person, uh, and they were two ships passing in the night, uh, and they had a brief uh, affair decor, if you will, and then I thought, this person needs to get out of Frank Castle's world as soon as possible, because therein lies very much danger, and this person does not deserve the danger that will befall her uh, if she continues to be present in Frank Castle's world. World. Uh, and I feel maybe similarly about Olivia, although, again, bad, uh, bad job, a person who works in a very bad uh, deal, at least as we view it now, things can obviously change. Uh, and we don't know what her level of uh, knowledge about is, what was happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but I, I don't think her being in this story is going to lead to anything good unless she comes back late in the story. If she's a late game person who in the epilogue, if you will, uh, we see Elliot reaching out to uh, making a connection with again, uh, then maybe there's the possibility of something there as, 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 a, as a landing spot, as something where you could foresee the two of them, based on the scenes they had here, forging a very real personal connection where they would look out for each other, uh, they would take care of each other despite their problems, and they would say, I've seen the darkness inside you, you've shared it with me, and I'm willing to uh, work uh, to protect you and protect you from it and protect us from anything bad that could come from uh, the things that you've experienced. Um, that would be great. Uh, I would love that for Elliot, and I, I, I would love that. I think it's a great performance, like you said, uh, from Dominic Garcia. So uh, hopefully uh, this is something where we don't see negative energy come uh, in this worldview because everything so far has been really good and i don't want to see bad come from that all right and then of course that that takes us to the end of the episode uh great cliffhanger tyrell wellick is in elliot's apartment he thinks that he's been followed by the dark army all the way home he just wants to play cool play cool mr robot come on let's just play chill 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 and then they get to the apartment and the doors bust like do not go in there it's like i'm totally going in there mr robot's like don't do it Elliot goes in, Tyrell is there, and he is so hyped. He's like, I'm going to be CEO! I'm going to be CEO! This is the thing! This is it! This is what we're waiting for! And Elliot's like, yo, shut up, shut up, shut up! And Tyrell's like, why? Why are you trying to be quiet? 
chill, man. And then he writes it down like, we're being, they're listening, they're listening. And then we get that great shot at the end of the episode. Very Hitchcockian, right? Very much uh, Sam Esmail's wheelhouse here as the camera's panning out and we're going to the white van. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, God, this cannot be good. Uh, so good cliffhanger. I think of, of the three episodes uh, of the season so far, I think, um, you know, is, is, this the, is this the most exciting one? Um, maybe not as propulsive uh, as the first episode. But I actually think I like it more than the premiere. Um, I, I really enjoyed having this moment to breathe, and I really enjoyed everything that developed along the way here. And I love this setup for wherever we're going next uh, with, with Elliot with information in hand and going home and now having Tyrell here and maybe... Maybe having like a dark army agent right at their doorstep. Like, what the hell is going to happen? It's Christmas Eve. There's, I, I think milk and cookies would be nice. I don't think that that's in their future. I don't think so either. <laughs> and I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, because if we deal with, you, you say their future, if you want to finalize with the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come, uh, Christmas is yet to come. Uh, and it does not seem like it's going to go well. We end on such a cliffhanger that we're going to have to, I think, pick up very, I mean, we're, we're talking about a compressed season, right? So I can't imagine we begin next episode very long after the events of this particular scene. That white van was following Elliot around. I think we saw the beginning of the episode in the previously on White Rose's assistant saying we need to keep Mr. Alderson on his leash. Uh, we saw White Rose say we're going to make sure that we continue our surveillance on Mr. Alderson as part of the let's go with this plan now. So theoretically, that is the Dark Army. If that is the Dark Army and things are advancing rapidly, it, it probably is going to lead to some conflict and it's probably going to be next episode. And that's probably not great for Christmas. So, yeah. Uh, if this is the Christmas yet to come, it's not great. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else you want to get into before we look into some of the feedback that we got over the past week? No, I just I hope Mr. Robot's final voiceover, by the way, which is the one that he is positive, that isn't ticking time bomb, that isn't Russian roulette. Uh, he's talking about how Olivia overrode Elliot's attempts to deny access and that letting people in doesn't have to hurt. It's a, it strikes a uh, discordantly positive note from uh, Christian Slater's Mr. Robot voiceover. Uh, and I hope that it is if Olivia was only in the episode as a lesson in that regard, um, then it's still good. Uh, we had the one off with Muhammad that we're still talking about. Uh, so if that's all it is, then that's all it is. Uh, but I, I would like to see Olivia be more than that. And again, I only want to see it in the scenario that I talked about. Uh, so let's get into the feedback beyond right. that. The feedback, of course, as we outlined at the start of this podcast, you can send it to us a variety of ways. First of all, on Twitter, Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. I am at Round Howard. You can also tweet at Post Show Recaps. And you can email us mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com or our feedback form as well, posterrecaps.com slash feedback. And we are answering feedback from 402, which, of course, ended with the other one reveal. So a lot of people were processing that just in terms of some general emotional reactions. Shout out to Gwen. Gwen Bakes the Cake on Twitter, the great Gwen Bakes the Cake, which is a great uh, Twitter handle, uh, who wrote it and said, that wasn't, so much as, uh, that wasn't so much of an intense, stressful episode as I am a now emotionally erect episode. Uh, it was exhausting. Uh, I agree with Gwen on that point. Uh, by the end you of episode take that two, sentence again i'm not sure i understood what you said sure that wasn't so much as an intense stressful episode as an i am now emotionally wrecked episode there we go uh, yes that it was exhausting <laughs> and I, I i mean it was exhausting to say the sentence uh let alone to watch the episode <laughs> 
was that last part I was confused by. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Gwen. Uh, Gwen is great as well. I agree with you. Uh, that, that was, uh, that was, that was a lot. And I think, as I talked about earlier, this week was a little bit of a welcome breather. I was that, so happy though, for it, honestly. I mean, like, <laughs> look, we're an hour and a half deep into this thing and we've had a lot yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that it was like, it's more thematic, character driven stuff that we're talking about this week than like the big picture stuff because my brain was freaking fried last week. Yeah, and uh, and speaking of brain fried, I know a lot of people are probably going back. Uh, I know Jay Wilpon is already doing it, going back and watching previous seasons, looking for the other one. Phil T wrote in to say, I can be okay with this if it weaves perfectly into the other seasons. Otherwise, I'm calling bullshit, lazy writing, cop-out annoyingness. Wow, that's a, that's a lot Harsh. of active writing. That's a lot of active writing to accuse Harsh. someone of lazy writing. Yeah, uh, I will be interested to see. Obviously, how it fits will, will matter. I don't know that I would call it in that particular way if it doesn't fit your particular, uh, you know, to your particular point of pleasure. Uh, but there has always been something in this. Uh, and, and I don't know that we've, we've put our finger on it yet. But I think even if you go back and watch now, there are scenes that don't make a lot of sense, uh, where it's just like, no, who was, who was talking, who was he talking to there? Or why this or why that particular moment? Uh, it's even like, I, I think I noticed one in the prison reveal, uh, when Elliot is going back and you're seeing things like from one set of eyes and then you're seeing them differently. Uh, when we see Elliot, uh, imagining that he's at dinner with Leon or lunch with Leon and Joey Badass comes in with the camouflage, uh, and with his hair braided and everything uh, and then when we see the prison version of that uh, he's, he's sitting there in a jumpsuit and I, it doesn't even really look like Leon and I'm not sure if we're meant to say that that was a different person or if Leon looks differently it does not look like the Leon we'd later see in other scenes throughout the series uh, it's just kind of weird if you go back and watch that scene uh, so I'm like wait a minute who was this supposed to be all along if it wasn't Leon or who is the Leon that we've seen there's a lot of that stuff throughout where you're like well now I'm I'm in my own head when, when you said to Sam I have to go watch it again for the 10th time. And Sam Espel said, watch the show. Yeah, do it. Uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of fun doing that. So even if it's not going to strike in a way that satisfies you completely, I don't think anybody's going to be hurt by going back and rewatching uh, Mr. Robot. People are frustrated uh, about this being out there in the middle. Sarah Sloth Nova wrote in and says it's infuriating for Sam Espel <laughs> to be like, it's right there in front of you, but yeah. no one has guessed it yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. good for him. You know, yeah. if he feels that way, if he feels like he's gotten something in under us and, you know, the Reddit detectives, uh, he should feel he should be proud of that. I feel like he what he had also said though is like now that it's out there, the machine's going to go and people are probably going to start cracking it. So I, I think that that process has begun. Um, but I will say that this episode four hundred three didn't give me much in in the direction of any one theory or the other. So I think that when it is revealed, um, I think that like. There's still there's still a strong element of cloak and dagger to the whole operation. I'd be very interested to see how it goes. I do think a lot of it is going to be in the execution. I think Sam Esmail must understand that uh, that like this, you know, if this is not played right, this is going to be potentially a, a showbreaker for people. Um, that's the risk you run in something like this. I've, I certainly think, at the very least, uh, the right has been earned to, uh, to to swing, and and the trust has been built for me to believe yes. that this is going to be good. And then if it sucks, we'll talk about that. You know, I don't think that that's where we're going to go. I, I, I think that we'll like this uh, is, is certainly my hope. And by we, I mean, I, you and me. And so, right. <laughs> I think you and I will be fine. We'll see about the masses. Um, let's talk about the other one a little bit. Some people who had thoughts about who the other one could be uh, on Facebook. There was a discussion between the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, the great Doran Tepper, uh, talking about who the other one could be. Doran's uh, theory being 
could it be Darlene? And I think just like they're they're being in this discussion that happens between Brendan and Doran, which we will not we will not litigate in its entirety because it's a lot. Um, it's basically a, a version of what you and I had already talked about, Antonio. Of like, could there be something very weird happening with Darlene right now? Could it be as weird as her being the other one? Um, Doran writing that uh, I got major vibes, major Tyler Durden vibes from the fur coat that she was wearing during the episode. Uh, this idea that. Dom is, uh, not Dom, sorry, that Darlene is often like this fifth wheel around Elliot and Angela. Um, there's, I think a lot of people are, are, are looking at that as a possibility, but Fitzy points out a lot of the different reasons why it's going to be hard for that to work. Like, where was Darlene when Elliot was thrown out the window? What about the prison time? That would be really hard to figure out. What about when Darlene was interrogated by Santiago? Um, so far be it for me to like just like absolutely rule something out. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not watching Darlene as somebody who could be a third person they're in two, Elliot's they're- head. Yeah, they're two different faces on DDP's like wall of F society, right? Like they aren't, there's, there's not, there's not, Darlene is not missing. Elliot's not missing. They're two distinct pictures. Uh, Darlene is definitely with Cisco, uh, when, when the shooting happens. Like these are all things that definitely did happen that don't involve Elliot's projections. Uh, I think the more plausible, I don't even think it's necessarily plausible, but the theory that I'd be tracking if I were, if I were interested in Darlene theories is the one we talked about here, where is it possible? Possible that the Darlene we're seeing this season is not the real Darlene is not is a manifestation in some way, uh, only supported by the Mister Robot voiceover from this episode, and only supported by the fact that Darlene somehow knew how to unlock Elliot's phone. That's as yet. Uh, if I were going to put a pin in anything and say let's track anything, I wouldn't be spending any time going back to try to determine if Darlene was the other one. I don't think that's true. It is odd, obviously, uh, when Elliot's about to die at the beginning of this season and he sees manifestations of his family. Darlene's not there. It is weird that Darlene isn't present in a lot of those manifestations um, in the past. We have seen, I believe, young Darlene in this episode, uh, in the uh, halluc- not in this episode, in this series, uh, where Elliot has the the hallucination uh, and he goes back and he's looking and he sees a girl on pick with pigtails uh, riding by his what he what he assumes is his old house and his old house isn't there uh, and there's an error code there uh, maybe it'll be the error code we see next episode who knows um, but we've seen young Darlene at least in some form of Elliot's visions uh, so I think she did exist uh, and I don't think that she was ever not real uh, but it is worth talking about uh, you noted by the way that this was between Brendan and Doran Doran also said that Dorn heard the podcast before watching the episode. What's going on there, Josh? Yeah, oh my god! Uh, watch. The Talk show about a way to rewatch or watch Mister Robot. Yeah, For sure. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. Yeah, to no. If that's how you get it. Like, it. good. You know, do what yeah. you got to do. But uh, do what you got to do. We're grateful for the hey. listener. Maybe there are better ways to do it because Edmo uh, wrote in uh, profanity warning incoming. Edmo says, this show got me fucked up. I want to go to sleep now, but I don't, but I don't know what the, F, what the WTF is going on. Are we the other one? Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's funny. That's, uh, that's just, I think that's where a lot of us were with that and where a lot of us will continue to be. And it doesn't, doesn't seem like uh, information is immediately forthcoming. Uh, we're going to have to be analyzing scenes as we go forward to try to figure this sort of thing out. Uh, so it's really funny. Uh, Matt Campbell 
people, I think Josh wrote in as well to support your theory and say, yeah, the only thing that makes any logical sense is that the third personality is us. That was my first thought after getting over the shock of it all. And after hearing our arguments for all the possibilities, Matt Campbell says, I think that holds up. Now the question is, how is this going to work? I'm sure we all would want to have a positive influence on the outcome. But if our only characteristic is we can learn information and withhold it from Elliot, that doesn't seem too helpful. Imagine if we could bandersnatch the finale. Oh, no, please. God, no. (laughs) I'm sure I would screw it up. I don't want to bandersnatch the finale. I I care about Elliot too much to screw it up for him. Uh, But no, I think it's a good point that like if we're just observational in nature, um, you know, what help are we? But I think that that can feed into the idea of there being this other piece of Elliot that is inactive. Uh, and like uh, you're just like shell shocked or you're just distracted. Um, you know, who knows what Elliot was like? There's a big swath of time for Elliot that we don't really have a lot of um, insight into, which is what happens when Elliot and Darlene leave the farmhouse. And then what happens? What happens immediately after that in the month of October and November and most of December before we see him at Grand Central? Obviously, at some point, Elliot starts investigating um, White Rose in a more deep way to, to find the bank, gets to the Cypress stuff, yada, yada, yada. But what was the grieving process like? What was the mourning process like? What was Elliot like at that point? Didn't return to drugs based on what he tells Olivia in this episode that he's been clean for nine months, except for the one time he did heroin the other day, but he didn't really want to do it. Um, you know, like what has what has Elliot been doing? And I think like that, like, could he have just been like a deer in headlights uh, in, in an observational quality? Does that correspond to us as the viewer as another part of his personality? I don't know. Um, I don't know how it's going to be visualized. I don't know how it would be literalized if it's us, if we're the other one and, and we have a seat in the chair. Um, you know, it could be as simple as uh, the camera angle is just from the perspective of the seat that young Elliot was sitting in and a conversation occurring at that table with us being engaged, right? Like, and the camera being like peered into at multiple points in time, um, I think is something that you could see. Um, but who knows? Uh, Sarah Sloth Lovna, uh, blah, Sarah Sloth Anova uh, had written and said whether or not it's true, the us, the us theory is really beautiful and feels very real. So it's going to be my head cannon, even if it's not explicitly revealed. Um, some other candidates have emerged. Uh, Fitzy is really uh, uh, banging the drum on its Kevin McAllister, the snowman, who is on the bench. Uh, I don't really know how that would work. Uh, but I think that's fun. A lot of people, uh, and Fitzy throws this out there too. What about Quirty? Quirty the fish. Uh, that this would explain that aspect of Elliot not replying and not seeming to be engaged. Uh, there does seem to be like this momentum online. And of course, we recorded our podcast before the Reddit machine started going uh, last week. There does seem to be uh, a, a lot of support behind the It's Us theory, but also a lot of people who are like really into it being some sort of QWERTY the fish. We're in the fishbowl. Move me closer to the goddamn window uh, kind of deal. Um do you assign any anything to that whatsoever beyond the idea of like if we are if it is us and we've been in a fishbowl and we could just stare at the world, then please move us closer to the window so we can help. And we would literally be closer to the window in that seat in that imaginary boardroom. One, Cordy is dead. Um, I'm just going to say Cordy is dead. I'm I think probably Cordy. Yeah. That's not even canon. It is canon now. Cordy is dead. Uh, I don't understand how Cordy would have survived unless Philip Price is like dutifully caring for which Cordy. would be so sweet yes cordy is dead yeah. uh poor cordy is dead uh poor cordy poor cordy is dead i would say 
that that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that in the scenario where QWERTY is somehow involved in this, which I can't believe I'm acknowledging, uh, what Darlene told QWERTY, that uh, Darlene just went and told a fish that Vera was back and was surprised when the fish didn't react. I, I'm confused by that aspect <laughs> of it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Germain says, it's the landlord. Who else but your alternate personality would watch your dog so much? I like that. Uh, yeah, I know you do. Blob. Yeah. <laughs> all for that. Those kids are all I got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dog's all I got. Yeah. I honestly, I'm a little, that, that felt like a straight up lie. And it still feels that way to me. When Darlene asked where Flipper was and Elliot's like, the landlord's watching her this week. It's like, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. So TBD, I suppose. Uh, you know, it's funny. We talk about, um, the the idea that uh, some things have have been shown on screen or going back to Elliot and Darlene uh, and the careful massacre and the Halloween before the real events of the series. Uh, we forget, I think, how quickly we forget that there is a massive time jump here uh, in between uh, the events of last season and now. And I do wonder if we're going, even though this season timeline wise occupies uh, only these few days, how much time, if any, we are going to spend in the time in those two months. Uh, are we just going to forever forget those and just assume Elliot was investigating the Deus group, Darlene was partying, uh, Mr. Robot was trying to help Elliot, uh, poor DDP was just sitting at her mom's house eating pasta and sauce, uh, and all those things were going on, or are we going to get more details about those two months? Uh, I'm on team. We're going to get more details about those two months. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that this episode, uh, by spending 15 minutes in 1982, showed us that, yeah, like the main present action is going to be taking place around Christmas, but that doesn't account for flashbacks, which have always been a big part of Mr. Robot. Um, right. So, yeah, I think that, uh, that it's very likely that we will find out more about how Elliot reacted uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of Angela. Certainly, we got to go back more to like... Um, when Elliot was put, when Elliot jumped out the window, right? Like, we, there's there's still a lot of old history that we're going to need to see too. Um, so I want I want to see the three days after the hack. Uh, yeah, you know, I know you do. After yeah, exactly. Elliot disappears, do you think we'll see the scene where our Darlene tells Elliot about Vera? Yeah, I mean, like if that becomes part of like a larger reveal of like who's the other one, um, that would make sense to me. I don't know that we need to see it. Like if it, if it then becomes something that we could just like plug together in our mind of like how that would have worked. Um, but I think it's certainly possible. What about anything else with Tyrell? Edmo said, wait, is it Tyrell? No. So effed up by now. It's not. Got it. it's not that's what it's I not thought. Tyrell. Yeah, it's not Tyrell. Um, also, Leon is a name that's been put out there. Uh, any, you want to give any, any discussion no. about Leon being involved? I don't think so either. Nope. Um, so I, I, because I don't Sam know. Sam Esmail has said it's been baked into the show from the beginning. Leon doesn't show up until season two. So whatever it is we're looking for, it's been there in front of us these, this entire time, or it's been invisible in front of us, but it's been baked into the premise. And I imagine that this is a turnkey. This is, uh, you know, the, this is the key in the pocket. Your hand was the key was in your hand. Your hand was in your pocket, and you take it out and you unlock yourself out of the land of Ecodelia. Uh, that this is this has been in the show from the very start. This is the thematic uh, exit point uh, for for Sam Esmail. So whatever Speaking- whatever was baked into the feature film idea, uh, that is that is the type of thing we're looking at. I love Joey Badass. I love Leon. Can't wait to see him. He was at the red carpet for the season four premiere, uh, oh, so he will he will be in the season for sure. Uh, it's just a matter of when and how and why um but as a, an additional elliot as the other one i i just don't think that that's big enough for me 
so let me give you let me let you have two minutes on uh, speaking of baked into the beginning and speaking of not being baked into the future film premise. I want you, uh, I want to give you two minutes to talk about the possibility that Sam Esmail and Sam Esmail's character in the context of this show could be the other one. Yeah, I think that that's possible insofar as that that would be um, the creator, right, and the the person who uh, literally created Mister Robot. Uh, the show uh, so is it right the per- there on every title card created right. by Mr. By, by Sam Esmail. Right, right. I mean, that's that's not impossible. Uh, has been in every single season. Uh, the moment where Elliot smashes his head against the mirror in season one uh, and is looking at different reflections in the mirror. Um, there's there's Sam Esmail wearing the hoodie, uh, looking back at him in a quick flash. So it'd be baked into it from from the beginning. And with my question being like, if it's us. Uh, how do you literalize that? How do you visualize that? Well, you could visualize that through Sam Esmail, that he's been the portal through which we've been able to watch this story. Um, so wouldn't wouldn't blow me away. Wouldn't be my preference. All due respect. Uh, I I think that I would I would like there to be a little bit more ambiguity than it being Sam Esmail himself. Um, but. There also has been Sam Sepiol has been like a name that has been Elliot's alias throughout much of Mr. Robot. So a guy named Sam being important to Elliot from the jump, there would be uh, there would be groundwork for that from the very, very beginning. I think you even see that name in the very first episode. Uh, and certainly he has a cameo in the very first episode. Um, I assign that much greater likelihood than Leon. I assign that much greater likelihood than Terrell, than Darlene, um, that, that the, the other one could be Sam Esmail. It's certainly a huge swing. Right. Like that is a swing for the fences type of deal. That fits in my 2001 ending style for sure. Right. Like it would be something that would be uh, that there would be much to be written about and discussed about that. And the types of conversations that people could be having about something like that is like, wow, Mr. Robot was freaking genius in its finale or wow, Mr. Robot was shockingly stupid and up its own ass. Like you can imagine the two different conversations that stem from that kind of a reveal uh, on like a meta level. I'd be very fascinated uh, by like the cultural response to you'd such be, a thing. You'd like the meta to the meta. Yeah. You want to see the meta to the meta. Uh, I, I don't was a meta. I, I, I don't rule it out. It's not number one on my list, uh, but I don't rule it out. And it certainly would fit in terms of like the size of the reveal. And it would certainly fit within. It's been in there from the very beginning. And I mean, in that analysis, uh, when, of course, in, in the context of the show, I believe Elliot articulates at some point that he had a friend named Sam who helped him hack or things like that, uh, showed him how to do certain things. Uh, in that analysis, what you could maybe interpret is that uh, Elliot Alderson, uh, whoever he participated in this uh, in this world as, has an alter ego uh, that is ultimately Sam Esmail and Sam Esmail, as Elliot Alderson as Sam Esmail, goes on to tell us this story. So the story begins what i'm about to tell you is true uh and it it begins with the voiceover of that character telling us in 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 a meta way right uh the person who experienced these events now being the person who's interpreting them and putting them on screen uh i think there's some there there there's some grist to that uh people on reddit by the way josh are parsing your podcast with sam esmail going line by line through what sam esmail said and sam esmail said he was yeah i know that was always working Yes, eat exactly. the bait, eat the chum. Go <laughs> get on, Gosh. get on the hook. 
this is your Mr. Robot. We definitely just heard him. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you've no, been up to great. all along. No, it, but just to take a quick second on it, it's been very exciting for me to see that. It's like, oh, sweet. I'm, I'm happy to be of service. Uh, if, if, you know, any of these conversations can provide value in that context, it's certainly obviously very, very validating to me. So I was and very one happy of the, to see all of that. One of the biggest pieces of meat or chum, if you will, for those people is that Sam Esmail, when you're talking to him, he said like, oh, yeah, my cameos were all in the premieres. You know, I'm in the premiere of every season. And did Sam just forget at that point that he was in the prison scene? Uh, and you point out, uh, or is he purposefully making us uh, not drawing our attention to that, uh, which is one, you know, one party's or one side's read of it, uh, that he didn't want us to think about the fact that he showed up in the prison scene uh, as someone who was still in jail. Uh, when Elliot was being let out. Right. Uh, he was on the other side of the glass. Or maybe when Elliot was being admitted, I can't remember. But Sam Esmail was jailed. Uh, and so I don't know. You, you know, is that is that something or is it not? I guess TBD. Uh, but people have definitely been in on that aspect of that. And I think that's interesting. I love the idea that created Mr. Robot created by Sam Esmail is right there in every title card. And if you want to say, oh, my God, it's been in front of us the whole time and we didn't see it. That's the kind of thing where if you pull the curtain back in that way, you'd say, holy shit. Like, yeah, it says it right there that Mr. Robot, not the show, but the character and not the character within the show, but the character in the context of Elliot Alderson's narrative was created by Sam Esmail because Sam Esmail is Elliot Alderson. So boom, there you go. Uh, that would be pretty dope. Uh, and I could actually see them sticking that landing. Uh, and like I said, it fits in the 2001. You go into a room, uh, you see people from all walks of, or, or all, various stages of a life, uh, if you will, or various stages of a life and being. Uh, and it's a very weird ending in that regard. Uh, and it's a surreal kind of thing. Uh, I could see that. And I, the 2001 of it all really is appealing to me in that regard. So I'm certainly curious, definitely did not want to finish this podcast without talking about that particular element of the theory. Is there anything else you wanted to hit from the feedback before we wrap up? Yeah, just, a quick couple, hits? just a couple of quick hits. Uh, you know, you've been tracking this a lot and Scott French weighed in, uh, loving the podcast. I also had the same reaction for who the other guy is. Would this play into the larger F society, F God, etc. theme to actually be F you, uh, because that's what you had said, Antonio. You'd been tracking that from season one, F Society. Season two, it's the screed uh, of Elliot saying, F God. Season three, there's the F me moment. Would this be, if we are the other one, F you? Would that fit? Would that, would that validate that thing you've been tracking? Maybe uh, it sounds like from what you're saying about the possibility of the Sam Esmail theory, that F, that would be the F you theory. Uh, that, would, but, that would also potentially, yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, though. I like that there's a possibility that this will be tied together in that bow. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm still tracking the FU of it all, uh, as I always am, really, outside of Mr. Robot and inside. Yikes. Okay, a couple more quick hits. Uh, uh, Anonymous had written in, uh, I don't think the hacker group, but maybe, uh, if we see a taxidermied human in this season, that's going to be my breaking point. I'll be out. Full stop. Done. Don't need to revisit my feelings from Leftovers Season 1. That is in regards to Janice and her work, which we got to see a little bit of. Uh, What do you think, though? Probably going to see a taxidermied human at some point, no? Or at least the attempt. I hadn't thought about it till just now. I had thought that her... Don't put a taxidermist killer on the show unless you're going to... Yeah. Chekhov's taxidermist? taxidermist? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I feel like yeah, you, hang, you hang a taxidermied uh, head on the wall uh, in the first act. You're going to have to see a taxidermied it's human either, by the It's either that act. or Janice has to wind up on the hook. 
You know, it's like one, yeah. one, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, we can go through this quick. Uh, Westy had also written in to thank you on this, Antonio, and I agree. Great catch on the B-side aspect of the cassette. I totally, I totally missed that amidst the what's in the box uh, aspect. Uh, Kara Davis had written in, uh, thank you for explaining macaroni and gravy. I've never heard of such a thing, and I was so grossed out. <laughs> really funny. Who can blame you, Kara? Who can blame you? And of course, because uh, we, we, we can't get away from it, and certainly White Rose being a big part of this episode, Bryant Hughes had written in and said, is Elliot in his internal situation a result of White Rose's project? White Rose promised Angela that she could be with her dead mother again. Elliot is with his dead dad all the time. Maybe White Rose tested her project on the Aldersons, and that is why he experiences what he does with his father. Long-running theory for Mr. Robot, for sure. Um, did seeing anything about White Rose in this episode move you any way or the other on that just quickly? Yeah, really, going back right? to, ni- like you just said earlier, going back to 1982 tells me I, we can go back to 1989. We can go back to right. 1991. We can go back to 1994. We can see all this stuff. The show's got the latitude to do it. We, it's now expressed an interest in filling in these blanks. Has the, the time to do it. I think we could see that. Um, Mr. Alderson died for the project, but he is, quote, responsible for some of the earliest advances. This goes hand in hand, perhaps, with Darlene coming back into the story and that being present. If you want to say that she's part of that as well uh i don't know the question of who taught elliot how to hack how did elliot and darlene both become so good at it um that's an open question i think on the show it's not a question i think the show has put out there as something the show wants us to be asking but i do think it's natural for us to be asking that question uh and so is that a question we could see answered i think it's definitely possible uh like you said brian's expressing i think a kind of a longer running theory here and what i know know we have talked about on this podcast in the past uh and i don't know that anything i saw changes my expectation on that one way or the other except to say now that we've seen past white rose i think we could easily see the genesis of the project we could see this actor playing white rose uh talking about the very 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 beginnings of it see some scenes in 1986 1987 and at some point we'd switch to bd wong white rose and i think we would see the early stages of the project hopefully in 1994 etc and really fill in the blank on where that goes and again that's in your time frame of elliot jumping out the window for the first time Uh, that's in your time frame from a lot of this stuff being filled in Uh, what role magda might have played in all of this Uh, why is she just sitting quietly why did she have the tape what was in the safe deposit box, if anything. I think a lot of that stuff could be tied into this as well, this being the early genesis of the Alderson family vis-a-vis White Rose in 1994. Uh, all of that could be could be tied directly in. The side A could be turned in, as we've talked about. So all of those things are out there. There's almost so many of them that I don't think we could necessarily not see some version of it being tied together. Does that mean that that's directly what Brian articulated, or is it some other form of that? I don't know. But I think there's enough hanging out there that there's some there there that we should investigate. Cool. All right. Well, we'll investigate a lot with next week's podcast talking about 404. Uh, Got to imagine there's an error code for that. I don't have it off the top of my head. But I'm it's sure. not a good one, by the way. Uh, it's not a good one at all. As a matter of fact, none of the error codes are great. Uh, 404 <laughs> is not found. Oh, uh, God. Page okay. not found. But, oh, you know, the, the, just to, to close this out, there's 13 episodes in this season of Mr. Robot. 413 error code uh, is entity too large or request entity too large. Oh, God. Uh, payload too large. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, not great. 6,000 foot squid is, I think, where we're heading. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, that is as good a segue as any to say that, of course, uh, Sunday nights, 
prime time for television. There is a new heavy hitter in the Sunday night rotation. It's HBO's Watchmen, Damon Lindelof, uh, continuing uh, the, the universe that was laid out by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons in their graphic novel released in the 1980s. It is an insane show. It just debuted its very first episode. October 20th was the series premiere. And Antonio and I are both podcasting about Watchmen, but we are not podcasting about it here on Poster Recaps. We are podcasting it about, it about it at The Hollywood Reporter on the series regular podcast that I run over there. Antonio is my wingman, much as Mr. Robot was Elliot's wingman tonight uh, with, uh, with, with the date. Uh, Antonio is guiding me through the squids. So many squids uh, in Watchmen. Very dense show. A lot going on there. We had a really fun time with our first conversation about Watchmen. I highly Highly encourage you, if you're watching that show, to listen to the podcast we are doing over there. So subscribe to Series Regular is that podcast. It's been a blast to talk about so far. It's really fun that we've got these two very meaty shows to be talking about every single week, Antonio. Yeah, I'm taking a lot of protein in. Uh, I'm going to need... A lot of gravy. (laughs) You all right? You need a minute? Nice talking to you guys. Have a nice week. Squid Ragoo. All right, please subscribe to the podcast. That's all I've got. <laughs> please do subscribe please. to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash MRRobot. iTunes is it's our Apple here. But you can find us anywhere, Mr. Robot, on your podcast app of choice. Um, Antonio, anything else? No, please tweet at us, as always, at AC Mazzaro for me, two Zs, one R. And Josh is at round Howard, like the ground round, but Howarder. Um, and you can definitely get in touch with us there. You can also hit us up on our feedback form. What's that email address one final time, Josh? MRRobot at postshowrecaps.com. MR not. Uh, okay, perfect. All right. Any more feedback? No. Okay. Any more episode? Any more gross jokes you want to throw my way, Josh? Nope. I'm good. I, right. That feels great to me as a place to stop. We will be back in your ears in one week's time talking about Mr. Robot with so much to discuss here with this final season. Can't wait to get into it with you all next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.